Welcome everyone to Comics from the Multiverse episode 278. I am Peter and joining me as always is Matt. Hey, Bangarang. Bangarang? You mean Batarang? No, Bangarang. We've been over this. Superbufia says in hook. Just it's, it's a good exclamatory <laughs> word. The fact that you expect me to remember anything that was said in hook. Uh, hook, hook is fantastic. It might be in my top 10 spiely. Movies. I mean, that's not like it's the perfect balance of fun and sentimental. He's got he's got about thirty movies. Most of them since like two thousand, early two thousands, have been mediocre at best. So, mm-hmm. top ten's not that much of an achievement, really. I, I would put in my top five because, as we all know, my you know, well, three you... of my top movies of all time are all Spielberg movies. So, well, yeah, but you've already got three indie movies, a Jaws, uh, yeah. maybe I don't know. A Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was going to yeah, say, yeah, yeah, I don't think E.T. makes your top five, but... Uh, out of Spielberg, it might be in the five spot. So... I, I have a hard time watching it all the way through. Because once it starts to get sad, I don't like to watch it. <laughs> you know? Uh, so, Army County Poltergeist, I know Toby Hooper, you know, is, is the listed director, but... You know, I mean, the I mean, around that movie is Spielberg did a lot on set, so. I mean, I'll put it this way: it's overrated either way, so it doesn't really matter that much. I I like it. I like it because it was from a time where it was fun to scare kids. Now, now I feel like a lot of the horror movies are not, you know, bring the whole family. Whereas I felt like in the '80s there was a lot of, you know, scare the kids kind of horror, um, and I miss that. Cause it's okay to be scared as a kid. You know? Yeah. Um, I don't I mean, know. Temple I, of Doom used to scare the hell out of me. I, I've know? just never, like, Polarcase, you know, people talk fondly of it, and I've just never really felt that much when watching it. And I don't know if it's just because it's kind of a, it is more of a family-friendly horror movie, so mm-hmm. it just feels like weak sauce compared to everything else that I consume <laughs> on a regular basis. I mean, it's one of the first horror movies I remember seeing, so that why it might have some you know, scary factors to it still. Like the clown scene still, I have to, I went just because I remember being so terrified as a kid. Um, and, and now through adult eyes, it's silly as hell. But it's still, and then the pool with all the corpses, it's just, you know, there, there's parts that stick with me uh, still from the time being a, a little guy. Yeah, I, I can't say I remember it enough to remember specific no, I mean, you're also watching... Silent Night, Deadly Night at like four. So I mean, that's not true. I didn't see that till <laughs> I was in my twenties. <laughs> I think you'd say I didn't see that till I was eight. <laughs> uh, I love how we're still talking horror movies, even though it's now November okay. and no one's in the the mood for for. Well, I mean, we are, but <laughs> most people aren't. Yeah, in the mood I mean, for like when I'm done here, I'm probably gonna go wrap up the history of horror uh, that we started, just because that, that's been a fun. Uh, been writing down movies for for me to to watch and this new season had all holiday horror movies you know so there's a big chunk on black christmas and silent night deadly night so of course those have been added for the holiday season and i think i'm gonna revisit krampus so i only saw it once in the theaters Crump? Um, you mean krampus krampus yeah there we go the krampus krampus not krampus I should, I should know this. I'm also, my coffee hasn't kicked all the way in. Because uh, uh, I love 
the, the crap is. Well, there, uh, there's a there's a new R rated cut coming out. Oh. Hopefully, it fixes some of the story problems I had. Uh, from the, but again, when that come out? 2015, 2016? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's been it's been a while, so I need to revisit it. But them talking about it, they had Michael Doherty on. Yeah, Screen, um, Screen Factory's doing a, a new. What what did they call it? I don't know. It's not called. I mean, it's not called an R rated uh, cut. It's, it's got it's got to be like the naughty cut. It's something right? like that. It's got a gimmicky yeah. title. But you know what? I'll just tell you. Um, yeah, so I, you know, it's uh, a bit of a trend that we we have here. Oh, it's the naughty cut. Yeah. Okay. You nailed it. I did not know that. Um, but it makes sense because, but yeah, um, there's some other stuff on there. I mean, they talked about my bloody Valentine, and you know, for you know tied it to valentine's day even though that movie is you know very very um peripheral like it's right out of valentine's dance but like but no it's just it's it's been good so falling back into it that started watching riverdale which that show is so bad they love it um they, they're doing a time jump pete i know you haven't watched since like halfway through season one um, i know i finished season one but i, I gave up there was huh. a there was about yeah. It was episode two or three of season two where Archie started like a a mob with all of his friends where they all went topless yeah. to try and hunt down a serial killer and I went, Okay, this this show's jumping the shark. Uh I'm I'm just gonna tap out now because I don't want any of this and then yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, we're 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 full season five. They just graduated and uh I think there's a, a time jump coming where they're actually the actors are gonna be around their actual ages now. Cause they've been in high school for, you know, however long. Five years. <laughs> yeah, so uh, that that cracks me up. But yeah, it, again, it's not good, but it's very watchable. It is, it is the TV equivalent of junk food. So we're we're gonna get through that. Um, as we record this, my wife's watching you, which her sister got her on. I know nothing about it. I came home. Saw the end of an episode and went, the, the, okay, the, this is not for me. You moved on too quickly, but there was a joke in there somewhere about, uh, where's the camera? Uh, why is she watching me? I'm not that interesting. It's also a bit creepy, Matt. Uh, uh, um, well, believe it or not, this is a DC Comics podcast. We mm-hmm. get together, we've read a bunch of comic books, and we talk about them every week. Uh, coming up on this week's show, we have Dark Knights of Steel, issue one, mm-hmm. Batman 116, the Swamp Thing issue 9, Arkham City, The Order of the New World. Or sorry, just Order of the World, sorry, not The New World. <laughs> I just added that <laughs> in for no reason. Uh, really get the conspiracy theorists going there, Pete. Yeah. Uh, Superman, The Authority Special issue 1, Matt read that. A Human Target issue 1, of course, started by New Tom King book. Um, and I do owe Animal Man, and I was going to read it for today, uh, but there was a bit of a blunder with the scheduling this week because the clocks in the UK changed last weekend. And they're not changing in the US until tonight. So uh, Matt was ready to go an hour earlier than I was because I I, I thought... Because uh, we're actually early for me right now versus yeah. normal. So uh, so in order actually, to... We're, I, actually, on time for you right now. You're just a book behind. Uh, exa- exactly, yes. Uh, so, um, yes. Get to that next week. Uh, and I'll, I'll play catch up, uh, but uh, in order to start at a reasonable time, uh, for well, for Matt's time zone anyway, <laughs> um, uh, I, I uh, chopped it for the week. So here we are, that's what's coming up uh, on today's show. And uh, yeah, but not to worry. Even if, even if 
we're technically starting yeah. a bit late for Matt. There's still time. There's still time for everyone's favorite segment, Matt. There's always time for numbers, including your favorite segment. It's your favorite segment, and you're the way I miss it. You lie. No, you lie. I said I hate this. Ah, nah, nah. You say hate, but I hear, I hear love. I hear affection. I hear. I hear admiration. Actually, I hear, I hear awe. I, I, I can sense you in awe of, of we this. We determined that was a lie. <laughs> so this is the Comixology Top 10 at the time of recording, which is the usual Saturday time this week. And uh, it's a much better week for DC than last week. I'll say that much off the top. Oh, good. Uh, well, I'm looking at the Marvel books, and there's not a lot that jumped to mind. Mm. Um, so, yeah. So, go on. Have a guess, Matt. What do you think number one is? Hmm, I'm looking at this Marvel and DC list. Uh, is is it a Marvel or a DC? Is it a DC at number one? It's a DC book, yeah. It's got to be Batman. It is, of course it's Batman. Uh, Batman 116, first place. Second place is not Marvel or DC. It is actually the Critical Role comic book that's coming okay. out. That's your four of that. So, uh, yeah. Vox Machina is the title. Uh, number three is Star Wars issue 18, so technically Marvel, but, you know, it's just, like... Still the War of the Bounty Hunters going on. I believe, yep, the banner's still there. Yeah. I feel like I've been seeing that same banner now for about five months, but, you know. Uh, yeah, it's it's looking like it's uh, Kira versus Leia for the fate of Han Solo, and we kind of just know where that's going to go, so... Yeah. Fun times. I'm almost tempted to ask who the hell Kira is, but I don't, you know what? I don't want the explanation. Yeah, you've never seen Solo, a Star Wars story, so you would not know who Kira yeah, is. Yeah, I, I don't want to know. Uh, number four, our boy Tom Taylor's doing all right for himself because Darkness yeah. of Steel is uh, doing all right. There that's, you go. That's good. I need, uh, it's good that a, a maxi series comes swinging out heavy. Speaking of, number five is Human Target issue one, so... Uh, both both new number ones doing quite well. Uh, the Superman Authority special is then number six. So DC, you know, that's four books in the top six. Uh, and I make another one in the top seven because number seven is Superman 78. And then number eight is another Star Wars book. It is uh, just Bounty Hunters issue. Seven. 17. 17. Oh, it's still just Star Wars. Sorry. I assumed it was a different uh, series because, but it's not. I think it's just 17. Of Star Wars. Well, no, this is Star Wars Bounty Hunters. Uh, oh, you're 17. right. Wait, there's a whole Bounty Hunters series yeah. going on as well? Uh-huh. Okay, that's... I, know, which, I, know which, I think that's more of an anthology style where it is just about the separate, you know, Bounty Hunter characters. Do you know what I think it is, Might Matt, be tying in. I don't think they've come out in the same week before, so I think I've just always no. assumed it's a Star Wars book. <laughs> this is the first time I've noticed those two separate books. Yeah. Uh, Batman The Adventures Continues, the animated series uh, book. That is number nine. And number ten is The Magic Order 2, issue one. So it's a sequel, but issue one of the sequel. So just to mm-hmm. make that clear. Uh, worth mentioning, the Harley Quinn uh, book that was out this week, the, uh, the Eat, Kill Tour, whatever it's called. Right. Uh, that it was number 11. Batman Reptilian was just a couple of slots below that. And Swamp Thing... Was uh, down at what was that sixteen, ish? So, hmm. uh, not amazing, but you know, much better week overall for DC though. Uh, but although, uh, admittedly, this kind of seems just because Marvel didn't really, you know, other than Star Wars, they didn't really have much uh-uh. competing. So, no, I was looking at that, and there's like um, a Red Guard, which they they started in. Uh, that's the Russian Avengers. They have their own series right now, so I saw that pop up, but. 
nothing else really caught my eye from Marvel. Not that that's not you know Star Wars. Oh, so, well, yeah. Marvel be late, Connor this week. Absent. Eh, not here. <laughs> there you go that's the comic solid top 10 not much to add but decent week for dc uh there is one piece of news uh, as far as i could tell this week uh, it is good news and it is related to a book that we're going to be talking about today and that is the official confirmation of the swamp thing season two uh, although they're not renumbering it sounds like they're just going to continue the numbering after a couple of months off and we'll be getting an issue 11 in march uh, season 2, as it were, is not 10 issues again, it is now 6 issues, so this will go up to issue 16 at least, uh, and possibly that may be the ending point, or maybe they'll get a season 3, who knows. But, yeah, that's that's a nice deluxe uh, trade when it's all said and done. I mean, 16 given, issues? given today's issue and what we're just kind of really getting to, it does kind of feel like, yeah, I mean, this 6 issues could end the story, but it does need that extra story of like, oh, here's the actual resolution to all of this. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, I think they were banking on getting at least a little bit more, just based on where the story is in issue yeah. nine. Yeah, and if it's just the six issues, cool. I mean, but if not, I mean, I'm always ready for more Ram V. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yet, yet to disappoint. Yep, yep. So uh, that's good news. Good news. Can't really uh, argue. Uh, Stargirl season two ended this week, Matt. Um, I, 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 I gotta get, I gotta get caught up once, once we're done with Riverdale. I'll, Pivot to Star Girl. I mean, have you watched the end of season two? Are you? No, no, no. I, I just got to the Halloween episode of season one. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I had started it when I was at home, um, you know, in, in quarantine, and uh, then I was like, "Why am I watching Star Girl when I can be watching horror movies right now?" It's October, so I, I pivoted there. But funnily enough, it was the Halloween episode during October, which I am enjoying it. Me not watching it has nothing to do with not enjoying. Um, I particularly like Luke Wilson. That mm. that uh, and I and I started up the Star Girl original uh, mini Stars and Stripes uh, again, and I you know helps that Johns is the one that's adapting it. Um, it just definitely feels like a a better version the TV show than what I'm reading. Uh, it's very dated. <laughs> the have you read that the Stars and Stripes beat? Uh, Stars and Stripes? No, I've not. Yeah. I've not read that. Gotcha. Yeah, it's very, very much of the late 90s. Um, mm. You know, Young Justice shows up at one point. There's some weird alien, which I don't know if the, I mean, the TV show is more leaning towards the Justice Society, uh, not so much these aliens in Blue Valley. Um, but yeah, that's the last thing I read. So, but yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll get to it. Uh, I'm, I am enjoying. Yeah, no, I had a lot of good highs. I, I would say season two overall is not as good as season one but mm-hmm. uh there's definitely some peaks in there that are worth getting to and a, a lot of okay. dc stuff that you like you'll you'll be happy to see pop up i am so like like right now i'm seeing the justice society stuff and so seeing how they play in with with doc midnight and wildcat and all of that stuff is there's a lot of fun so that's just and it, it doesn't feel like it's just doing the oh hey look we have uh you know, Wildcat's mask. It's actually they're doing stuff with the character mm. development with these younger, you know, which really feels like that when they split the Justice Society. I can't remember what the other book was. We had Justice Society of America, and I think it was Justice Society All Stars, and they were really playing with the generational aspects of things. So that's kind of what it feels like Star Girl's doing on TV. 
Yeah, and I'm pumped for who the villain is in season three because they, they tease it at the end of the season, and I'm Ooh. I'm jazzed. Yeah, I've, I've heard some Eclipso rumblings for season two. Yeah, Eclipse was the main villain in season two. Yeah, gotcha. I think Connor spoiled that one for me. He goes, "Oh, so we tell you season two, you get Eclipso." I was like, <laughs> "Thanks." I mean, it's probably hard to avoid something that big that's just like all over the market and for the the season. But um, it's true. I want to remind you that I had that seed. Uh, yeah, but yeah, it's it's fair enough that season one does have like a sort of like coda scene that kind of teases Eclipso. So I mean, it may have been exciting for you had he not told you that yeah, season two. That's okay. Eclipso. I love Eclipso, so I'll be happy to see him on my screen. Uh. Yes. Well. 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 Uh, so that's that. Uh, in terms of other just random DC stuff, uh, that's you know movie or TV related, uh, they're bringing Lucy Lane back for Superman and Lois, which is like the most absurd out of nowhere thing I could have imagined them doing. Because when me and Carl used to review Supergirl, we would make fun uh, of the fact that Lucy just disappeared after season one because she was easily. Maybe not counting the villains. She was the weakest part of season one. She was just this, she was she was there. She was right? ta- she was tacked on. It was weird that she was kind of like some secret DEO agent, and it was also it kind of just felt like it was there for the love triangleness because she had like a past mm-hmm. with Jimmy, and that was Jimmy? that was basically it. Uh, so out of nowhere, this past week they announced, oh by the way, the actress is coming back and she's going to be on the Superman and Lois. Even though, and this is something that we had been pointing out in reviews, this show. Has never mentioned once that Lois has a sister. <laughs> I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure <laughs> that felt like something they were happy to leave behind. But now that they're getting the actress back, they're like, "Oh, Lois has got a sister. Remember, she's got a sister. Remember, remember." I feel like the comics do that though too. You know, Lucy falls in and out, and they'll they'll bring her on. I mean, now there's a brother named Leonardo. No, I mean, she, she, like they do, but I think what's weird about it in the context of a TV show is that there'll be specific lines or moments where it'll be like, Lois talking about her childhood when Sam being a parent, and it's like weird that they never mention that she has siblings, or, you know, it's just, it never comes up. I, Yeah, I do love the idea of her going, you know, it was tough being an only child <laughs> in one part of the one season, and then here's the sister. Yeah, it's uh, like uh, it's like an, uh, it's an episode of Cheers where Frasier says his dad's dead. Yeah. And yeah. Then Frasier, his dad's like a main character for like the entire show. <laughs> you know, they do have a difficult relationship, right? I've never really seen Frasier, but mm-hmm. you know, maybe he was just dead to him at that moment. <laughs> sure, you know? that's, that's how you explain you know? it. Well, that's well explained. Yes, but yeah, no, I I, I love that stuff. It's it's the you know, um, what what show did this uh, back? Like, uh, it was the opposite. Oh, shit, Happy Days, where they had. Uh, uh, Richie had an older brother that showed up in the pilot and was never spoken of again. Mm. So, you know, stuff happens. I don't, I gotta get caught up with Superman and Lois because I've heard good things. That's another one that's on the list, probably after Stargirl. Um, but, you know, that type of stuff is stuff I watch by myself. And, you know, since the pandemic, I didn't have a lot of watching TV solo, you know, so because my wife has no. You know, if it's not Henry Cavill as Superman, she she really doesn't care. Ah. Even she doesn't even like the uh, you know she just likes the way he looks in the suit for the most part. I so. uh, I saw Henry Cavill in something this week. Uh, a young Henry Cavill on a movie for what? Streams After Midnight, new episode uh, dropping the next couple of days. Uh, but uh, he's in Hellraiser Eight, 
<laughs> oh wow. Hellraiser Hellworld. I almost asked why you were watching the Count of Monte Cristo. He said some screams. Because that was the first time I remember hearing his name was people would bring up he was in you know, he plays the son in Count of Monte Cristo. Um Oh, no, no, he's uh, at a trash Hellraiser sequel that also stars Lance Henriksen, who, you know, I'm always happy to see Lance Henriksen, I, I am, but between between his Hellraiser appearance and his Scream appearance, he tends to be cursed with the shitty yeah. sequels, so. <laughs> um, Hellraiser's one of those ones that, uh, much like Leprechaun, I'm very hesitant. A Leprechaun for different reasons, you know, just because... <laughs> <laughs> they're of a lower tier like i mean i mean tim will argue on leprechaun but yeah. like the, the, i think when you watch the nightmare on elm street so you watch the friday the 13th or even mm -hmm. the halloweens yeah there's some really bad sequels and stuff but i i think when you're watching like once you're past the first three hellraisers once you're into like four onwards yeah. you'll be begging for halloween resurrection like right. Hell, hellraiser five six seven eight are the bottom of the barrel, the worst. The fact that there's that many of them. We're not even done. Yeah. There's nine out of ten. <laughs> what? <laughs> and then I know they're doing the the, the reboot. There's a reboot right? coming. That's yeah. gonna be an actual reboot, right? Like. Yeah, yeah. That's that's, that's yeah. It seems to be something they're treating with some class potentially. Yeah. Uh, well, it's not the same creatives that did. What did they just do? Shoot, they just did. One that kind of underwhelmed me. Check. I don't know. Goyer's like producing it. So, I mean. Oh, oh that, that'll be nice and bright. I know you don't need that with Hellraiser, but. You know. <laughs> I mean, Hellraiser's supposed to be pretty dark and like, yeah. you know, sadistic and whatnot. So at least it'll maybe fit the, the the premise a little bit. Oh my God. They were making up until 2018. Yeah, the newest one was 2018. Although the one we just watched was the last one that Doug Bradley uh, played Pinhead as a different person okay. from the last two. But yeah, oh, no, this wasn't. This was a... Uh, he's one of the guys that did VHS. He's from that horror collective. Mm. The guy that's directing. So... Um, it wasn't anything that I had watched. But they keep churning them out. Same with Children of the Car, and you'd be shocked how many of there is of those. And then... There's like apparently yeah. a remake that they just made in New Zealand or something that's coming out soon. Yeah, uh, I I always thought so. I had never seen Children of the Corn until last year, um, and it it it's fairly creepy. I feel like you could make a nice creepy rendition of it now. I don't know if it's necessary, but I feel like you know the the horror tones there. Uh, but it wasn't. I mean, that Children of the Corn wasn't bad. I would never watch another one. Like, I don't see the point. You know, uh, but. Well, we're not done yeah, on the stream. We're not done the streams yet, but yeah. at some point we will, and I will suffer through yes. uh, "Children of the Corn" six 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 Isaac's return. I just anytime I see the ginger character, I think of Connor. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a character in the Barb's who looks a lot like Connor. Yeah, I think I think you tweeted that out. <laughs> <laughs> Connor, any relation? <laughs> uh, uh, doesn't have the, the shag ear here, but it does have the chin yeah. curtain. Uh, yeah. And he's maybe like one of the weirdo neighbors who's making everyone think there's a serial killer on the, on I the need, street. I, need, I haven't watched The Burbs in years, but I remember watching it years ago, and it had always escaped me, and I loved it. Um, I love Joe Dante. Uh, what happened to that Joe Dante? What's he been up to? I got old. So. <laughs> yeah. No, I know, but last, last movie I saw... 
was the one with uh, Anton Yelkin, Yelchin and Alexandra Denario uh, with the the girlfriend. I think it's called my, my what's it called? The hole? No, it wasn't the hole. It was it was more of a horror comedy where he's gonna he kind of gets um, pressured into getting engaged to his girlfriend, and then she gets like hit by a bus. Is she, is, is she wasn't a uh, Plaza? Uh, no, that was a different one. Let me let me find it. Maybe I'll mix it up two movies, yeah. Yeah, I think you are. They're very similar, though. Um, yeah, I'm thinking of Life After Beth. That was the Aubrey Plaza one. Yeah, this was Burying the X. They, oh, there you go. Yes. Anton Yeltsin, Ashley Green, and Alexandre Daddario. And, um, yeah, his his girlfriend's not so so nice. Um, but, yeah, she ends up coming back and causing problems. and It was it was quite fun, and that was in, from 2014. So maybe you're right. Maybe he just is, you know, maybe he's just working on TV. Um, well, he's just enjoying his twilight. I mean, the dude was making movies back in the seventies. Like he's. Yeah. Oh man, he did I miss that episode? He did an episode of Legends of Tomorrow. Ooh. Night of the Hawk. Mm. But yeah, fun, fun, um, fun, fun. Um, I know I'm a you know I'm a Joe Dante fan. I love the yeah. the guys. I'm not saying these these newer stuff bizarrely, but everything from. Yeah. 70s, 80s, 90s, Joe Dante, I'm, I'm, I'm all about. Yeah, I mean, Gremlins, Explorers, Interspace, The Burbs, Gremlins 2, Matinee, which I remember watching as a kid, and being like, this movie's weird. I haven't seen Matinee, but uh, next yeah. uh, next is uh, Small Soldiers, which uh, Which I, also, I love. I, I, I had all dig. those toys. That was like the last time, so that was, what, 98? So I was about 13. And I was trying to talk my dad into be like, yeah, no, I, I need these toys. He's like, you're 13. You're, you don't need those dolls. They're not dolls, they're action figures. You know, that whole thing. I remember that. But, uh, yeah. Uh, I think out of all of his, The Howling is the one that I, I have not seen, which I need to. I'm, um, not, I'm not super hot in the head. It's okay. It's like a perfectly... Yeah, uh, yeah oh. no, but it, I feel like as a werewolf fan and as, you know, as a horror fan, it's one that it, but I can never find it. <laughs> it's never anywhere. The werewolf no. part, just rent it. <laughs> if it's not hard to no, find, just I rent know, it. No, I know, but you know, when you spend X amount during October to have Shutter and it's not there and it's not on HBO and it's not, it's kind of like, man, the, come on. Not everything's yeah. always going to be on a stream. Sometimes you, if you really want to see something, you just have to bite the bullet and get it. I know. I mean, I still have to need, also as a werewolf fan, I still, Ginger Snaps is still sitting there. I need to, need to get oh, to that's that way one. better. That's way better. Helling yeah. has a great first twenty minutes, which is not werewolf related at all. And then once it gets to the werewolf stuff, it goes downhill. But <laughs> well, it involves like a cult, right? Like, but it's like yeah, well, kind yeah. of. But the opening twenty minutes has nothing to do with that either. Like the opening twenty oh, minutes okay. is is a completely almost standalone thing that the the lead character goes through that sort of okay. sends her to this like camp to try and heal. Yeah. Which is where all the werewolf stuff happens, but gotcha. that for that first fifteen twenty minutes where she's just trying to investigate a serial killer is really good, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, then, really? and then it sounds like Wolf of Snow Hollow, which is uh, up there as favorite werewolf movies, or is it a werewolf movie? Mm-hmm. Like the werewolves don't exist, you know. I mean, so they keep telling the sheriff. I mean, Jim Cummings would say that there's no werewolves, but, you know, we'll see. Yeah, I, I, we'll see. and I love that's how it's played throughout the whole movie. Like, it's, it's what I've noticed in, in certain werewolf movies is, like, there's... Once it starts happening, people just accept it. And I like here that he's the one person that's, you know, manically not... His new one came out this week that was 
completely crowdfunded, but also if you crowdfunded it, you get a piece of it. And I'm very curious. I know nothing, know nothing else about the rest of the movie, but it being Jim Cummings, I'm very interested. So. Yes, I know. I've seen these two movies and I'm excited for whatever he does next. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thunder Road also worth checking out. He's basically playing the same character. Uh, yeah. It's just a different plot. Uh, I feel like, though, The Wolf of Snow Hollow, he is a lot more unhinged uh, than in Thunder Road. I mean, he's pretty unhinged in both, but maybe because I saw that first. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, the opening of Thunder Road is just him giving an eulogy, but it's like the most weirdly funny, awkward yeah. eulogy possible. And it, I think it turned out, actually, that that eulogy on its own was a short film. They yeah, then was. expanded into a full thing. A movie. Yeah. Uh, so, very cool. Uh, Alright, well, we got DC Comics to talk about, believe it or not. So, yeah. uh, people, if you hate the movie talk and stuff, yeah, timestamps are, are available <laughs> at your disposal, should you wish to skip this nonsense. Uh, I understand completely. Uh, although, you should take movie advice from me, because uh, it's very good. <laughs> <laughs> You know, there's been a lot of Halloween kills talk, and the more he kills, the more he sends. Same with Pete. The more he talks, the more he ascends. So it's all just a play. You guys are playing into it. The, you know, the more you listen to him talk, the more power he gets. It's like the lawnmower, man. You know? Actually, I've never seen that movie, so I don't know if it's like that at all. But uh, I'm doing stuff with the internet. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen it, but uh, it's on the to-do list. I'm sure it'll be an Ace episode at some point or other. Yeah. Um, all right. DC Comics for the week. Dark Knights of Steel, issue one, Tom Taylor writing with Yasmin Putre on the R. Where is my tabula- tabular device? Here it is. Uh, so I can look at the comic as we talk about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so this is your your Tom Taylor uh, mini, Maxi. Yep. 12, 12 issues. A, Maxi, set in a world of fantasy, but with superheroes. Uh, well, it's an alternate reality. Yeah. It's just an alternate take on the DC characters yeah. who are all in this this world. Uh, and yeah. the book opens with, you know, familiar stuff, which is, you know, yeah. the, the elves on Krypton. It's about to blow up, and they're sending the rocket off. But the twist is, when the, the rocket arrives, not only is it in, you know, in the past or in a fantasy world or whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it, uh, the, the, both of them are in the rocket, and she's not given birth yet. So this is a... A version where the both Jor El and Lara have uh, landed on Earth, yeah, and in Clark's know, born on on this planet. So I don't want to call it Earth, but for lack of a better, I um, mean Earth, just because I don't know what else to call it. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah. And uh, he he's born there with them, and that's I I remember turning that page and going, oh, they're all there. That's cool. That's a nice. Because uh, how many alternate reality tales have we seen where? The, the ship makes it with baby Kal-El, right? But everything else is the same until it lands somewhere new, right? Um, like Russia. <laughs> yeah, Russia. Or I remember there's one, I haven't read it, but it's Tarzan, but with Superman. So it lands in the jungles and, and he's raised by apes. Um, so seeing the whole family this time was a nice, a nice, nice touch. Yeah, I mean, the opening's pretty exciting. Uh, a bunch of knights storm up on horses thinking that these these people are demons because they fell from right. the sky because you know superstition and all that um and joel's trying to hold them back and without really meaning to because he doesn't know what his powers are you know they're just right. landed he just right. blasts them with heat vision and 
that full page spread of just like all the the, the burned grass and the, the the charred remains and a couple of helmets as as they're embracing it there's the little ship holding their baby who's just popped out uh because that's how you describe a birth right they, they just pop out yeah they just pop out they just pop just out in their hair it's a little plop yep a little plop uh and before we jump ahead though to what i'll call present day <laughs> you know relative yeah uh, uh we do get like a glimpse that jefferson as in black lightning is already like uh a king in this world uh-huh. uh and there's a drunk constantine who is blubbering prophecies about demons coming <laughs> not just a drunk constantine he's a he's a early teens yes at best constantine yeah, so, so they've got like a prophet noting down everything he yeah. says because it seems like it might be important. Yeah. Uh, so it just sets up that he's going to be possibly an antagonist and then it skips 19 years later where we meet, well, 19-year-old Superman, basically. Yeah. Uh, and But Bruce Wayne's there and uh, it sort of reveals throughout the book what Bruce's like version of, of is in so, this. Yeah, so we get an Alfred, right, that's kind of, you know, this older guy that is his, you know, I'm not a chaperone, but he's, you know, his assistant, right? And then we also see Robbins, and he's got, like, this little group of of kids that assist him on, on his mission. And I was like, this is all fun Bat Mythos stuff. And he's, like, this black knight. His, his armor has the ears on it, and he's very much Bruce Wayne still. Like, and I'm like, oh, so what happened? I mean... We we've seen the, the the you know the Superman origin. So how different is Bruce's origin here? Like, it, was there still like a robbery that went wrong with these nobles, or whatever? But he's you know basically Batman for all intents and purposes. But you know with with a suit of armor and a horse instead of a Batmobile. Yeah, and he's got he's got Robins who are working mm-hmm. with him, but his dr- job seems to be protecting the Superman family. He's there to protect yeah. the elves. Uh, from their one weakness, which is not kryptonite. I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean that kryptonite isn't going to pop up later, no. because it might. But, but at least as yeah. of right now, they only seem to know that their weakness is magic. Uh, right. and, other, and, so any, and Well, and, and not just magic, possibly just other superpowers in general. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, that magic here seems to be defined as other superpowers, because we meet the Banshee, and, you know, you know, I don't want to spoil who that is just yet, but... That person might have a superpower versus magic powers. Yeah, normally. I mean, uh, as it goes, because it's okay. So Batman's protecting, and they don't call him Batman. Obviously, they just call him Bruce Wayne. No, uh, but mm-hmm. like he's protecting the elves. Um, Jor El seems to have a lot of respect for him. Even says Bruce mm-hmm. should be the one sitting on the throne, not not mm-hmm. you know not Cal. Bruce should be sitting on the throne, and that yeah, raises some so interesting the, questions. Which. To me, that said that Cal's a little bit too much of the people, right? He's a little bit too caring, you know, which is kind of Superman, and that Bruce is the one that he can make the tough decisions when that time comes, you know, and that that's the vibe I was getting there, and I was like, yeah, that's, that's kind of in line with Jor-El, the whole man of science kind of deal. Um, and that's also what I get from their kingdom. It's very, not so much science, but logic. And everything seems to be, you know, medieval versus fantasy, you know. Um, whereas we saw with Black Lightning, that kingdom seems to be more of the, you know, magic superpowers. Like, he's leading it and he has the, you know, lightning surrounding him and stuff. Um, and 
almost as if when the elves had showed up with their superpowers that kind of disrupted whatever they had going on. Um, and, and yeah, no, just everything from these few short pages in, you're just getting, this is, feels like a very tactile world. Like King and Putri did have done a great job. There's a lot going on, um, but to go back to Bruce being the one to take the throne, we find out that in this world, the Waynes are dead, but there's a little bit more going on there in that Batman keeps being referred to as the bastard. Everyone keeps calling him the bastard yeah. child, and everyone knows he's a bastard. And it's like, okay, right. so what exactly? Were the Waynes just not married? What's going on? And then we find out later in the issue that Jor-El admits to him that he is actually Bruce's father, and that's why... Because there's a little bit of a mystery when they go after this Banshee, uh, he survives something that should kill him, and he doesn't know why he survived. And he's even questioning, yeah. like, am I also magic? Should I? Because right. his, Bruce's stance on magic, which, again, could just be superpowers, they're just defining everything as magic. He thinks, well, that's illegal, we should banish everyone who has magic or superpowers, so therefore mm -hmm. I should be banished. I am now a villain, I am now someone who should not be trusted. Yeah. And Gerald's like, no, 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 no. You survive because you're my son, and because you have Kryptonian blood in you, and that's why you have. So, presumably, you know we're going to see Bruce develop a full set of powers, perhaps uh, as as this yeah. goes on. I mean, it kind of hints it towards the end here. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Su super interesting stuff. Um. It. I mean, obviously, this is just playing with every bit of mythology. It's not adhering mm -hmm. to anything from from what we expect or know from the DC universe, oh. which is totally fine. So, which leads me to talk about the Banshee, which. So I'm thinking, oh, Superman, right? They're doing Superman, Banshee. It's Silver Banshee. We're going to get there, magic, whatever. And so Clark and, or Cal and Bruce, or it's Bruce that goes, right? At first, with the Robins. I mean, yeah, Cal doesn't go. I mean, Cal shows up right at the end right. when everything's going right. down, because he's not supposed to go. But it's just right. Bruce and the Robins and Alfred that are going. Right. Uh, I mean, we and get so, to see Dick, Duke, Cass, and Jason. And, and, Bruce hints that there's another Robin that's in the court of, you know, of Black Lightning, who we could probably assume is Tim, but it could be Barbara, for all we know, you know? Um, uh, yeah, maybe Cass. I, I mean, I, cool. I know Cass is technically not a Robin, but yeah. I mean, it feels like all of them are considered Robins in this. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I feel like any any of the younger partners are classified yeah. as a Robin here, which is cool. And I like the one that was in the, in the bar with the Banshee was jason right yeah yeah that's the one that locates so that, that's kind of fun with that and so um it would not be a tom taylor book right with, without an appearance by black canary who ends up that's who the banshee is and i felt like not like a fool but like ah he got me yeah, um, and, it, I, and I didn't, I didn't recognize her. It wasn't until she said her name no. was Dinah because yeah. she's, she's yep. just, she's just a blonde woman. Like, there's nothing like to mm -hmm. give her away. That said, though, she because she starts off with like a bed sheet over it when she does actually get up. If I have a critique about this book, right? Because uh -huh. I had a lot of fun with this, and I'm not a big fantasy guy, but it's doing fun stuff yeah. with the characters and the characters we know and sort of twisting the mythology. I'm having a good time. But if I have one critique, is I do think there's the odd character whose costume design doesn't feel different enough because when black canary like stood up and i saw what she was wearing i'm like this is just like she's not wearing a little jacket but other than that this is just her costume I, I didn't get anything like unique about it uh there was no like twist on it 
Um, obviously, Batman, like his helmet, feels like a helmet, right? With with mm-hmm. you know, with the bat ears and stuff. Uh, but it didn't really feel all that different. Um, I guess I felt kind of similar with uh Steph as well. If it kind of felt like ah, oh, this really is almost just her outfit that we normally see. Yeah, I, I can kind of see that. It, it has more of a corset vibe than than her typical. But I get what you're saying now. Yeah, there's just a few of the outfits feel they're not different enough from normal. But I mean, it's it's a minor quibble. It's not a huge deal. It's just right. it was something that was sticking out to me a little bit as I was once I got to Dina, I was kind of like, ah, that that just looks you know. She's got a couple of mm-hmm. extra lines on her outfit, which maybe imply that it's more armored perhaps than a tank top. But it still right. just it still just looks like a fancy tank top. Right. No, you're yeah. right. In so, the jean short kind of vibe. You yeah. know, there's no fishnets or anything, but the short shorts are there. Yeah. Um, uh, especially especially when she unleashes the cry. That looks, this just looks like a Justice League page. <laughs> you know? Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this it is a good page. Uh, there's a, obviously the art is really solid though. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm critiquing the designs a little bit, but the actual art there's quality not- is very high. Yeah, there's not much else to critique when it comes to the art, because even the way that it flows, the layouts, the colors, everything just works. Like, the muted tones really make all the costumes kind of pop out a little bit better. So, like, when, when Harley shows up and she's in her black and red up against the kind of drab castle settings, it really looks good. Yeah. Um, well, 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 even well, that scene... Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, one of the touches I like in the, the coloring is that when Bruce and Cal go to speak to you know the elves uh, in their like throne room, uh, there was just this golden glow behind them the entire yeah. time and throughout that scene. So it does that thing, and I always appreciate this in comic books where it really does. It, you can sort of tell the scenes apart at a glance just because the coloring in the background mm-hmm. just gives each one a different tone. And I kind of appreciate that. And then likewise, yeah. when you know Jarrell goes up to speak to Bruce on the on the roof of the castle. Um, like you know, everything goes blue because there's lightning, which has got a right. bit of a double meaning because we also know that lightning is representative of Jefferson, right? And I, I'm not right. saying that this lightning strike is Jefferson. I'm just saying no. it's like a foreshadowing. Like yeah. Jefferson's out there; he's kind of our villain, you know. Right. It says we're you know the lightning strikes after Bruce says, "I believe I'm cursed," and from what we've seen with with how they feel about magic and whatnot, you know, and how that's tied to Jefferson, it it is a thematic motif. Yeah, they actually I hope continues. So they refer to a green man a couple of times throughout the issue. Now, obviously, when we get to the end, we kind of know who they're talking about. But it, my first thought was Martian Manhunter. I'm gonna, I'm not gonna lie. That was the first person oh, see, that came I, to mind. I thought, <laughs> I thought Swamp Thing. Yeah. Because but we we're both wrong. There is but... <laughs> a concept in in European folklore of a green man that is very much. I like. I'm wondering how much Alan Moore borrowed from for Swamp Thing because there's just so much how it, they represent the forest and the trees and all that type of stuff. That's what I was thinking. Um, but again, staring us kind of in the face. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we actually get, technically we get multiple people who could be considered green mm-hmm. men in, in a way. Uh, but, you know, we go to the forest and Green Arrow's like on a on a branch in a tree yep. and he's not the green man. The green man's a green yeah. lantern. Now, we don't get to see exactly which one. Which one. Uh, and the way they talk about the magic of the ring, like, the glove looks more like a you know, a Silver Age Green Lantern, but at the same time, yeah. if it's more magic-based, it's like, well, that, that sounds more like an Alan Scott ring. Could be. I, I thought maybe Sinestro. Mm, uh, yeah, yeah. Because keeping him in the shadow, we wouldn't know, you know. Um, 
and he was a Green Lantern, right? So yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, they're, they're but, intentionally obscuring it, so we don't know which one it is. But uh, right. basically, the Green Lantern, whoever it may be, engulfs the arrow that Oliver's going to fire with Green Lantern magic or energy, and mm-hmm. so this arrow will pierce an L. So sure enough, the book ends with Jor-El getting a green arrow to the eye. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, you know, like you said, there's a tease at the end with uh, Bruce's heat vision seemingly about to kick in. Yeah. Uh, with the full lightning strike behind him. So it really feels like, you know, everything's, like, really starting to, like, kick off. And there's, you know, the, the, like... You know, this, this is the, yeah. the first shot across the bow, as it were. Um, um, you know, I, I, I had fun with, with a lot of this. It's, it's one of these weird things mm-hmm. where... If you if you told me before I'd read this, like ah, uh, the premise of this book is that you know Clark and Bruce are going to be half brothers, and uh, mm-hmm. like Jarrell got it on with Martha at some point, and yeah. like it probably would sound quite bad. Like if you just told me yeah. some of the concept of this, it would probably sound kind of shit. <laughs> yeah, and and we're gonna have kind of like a, a a superhero war, right? Like mm. so far, we haven't met any proper villains. It doesn't seem like you know there's a Lex Luthor or a joker or anything oh, like I, that. I bet we see some at some point there'll be a reason- oh yeah but i'm yeah. talking just early on and you're just like oh you know Jorel is a king and you know bruce is his bastard son and jefferson pierce is the king of the of a rival kingdom that you're just like what that's no that's that's crazy but then the way that it all plays out it's just Fantastic. I mean, I don't think it's a stretch to say that one of the big themes of this is going to be prejudice and superstitions mm-hmm. and all that kind of thing. Like, this idea of anyone who has a superpower being instantly outlawed is very X-Men-y, mm-hmm. and I'd yeah. be very curious. It's, it's, it's very hypocritical as well, given that your right. rulers have more superpowers than anyone else. And well, and that's why it's to preserve the status quo. Oh, right? of course. Well, I mean, they, they kind of explain it. Jarl explains it in the, in the, the book as he lost his planet, so he's so determined to keep his family safe that right. he's he's ruling with a, a relative iron fist. And I think what's interesting about this issue is that it kind of does a balancing act where there's points where I'm like, oh, the elves look straight up villains, are they the evil rulers that are going to have to be taken down, where I'm going to be rooting for, like, you know, Black Canaries and characters like that to take right. them down. But honestly, it kind of skirts this line, but they still kind of feel like fairly nice people for the most part mm-hmm. even though they do have some of these weird policies about oh anyone with the superpowers like instant you know they need to be taken down right. and locked away or killed or whatever so it does feel like it's kind of playing this fine line where maybe we're going to sympathize with uh both sides of the conflict but we'll we'll see how it plays out knowing knowing tom taylor though i feel like it's gonna be like hey ruling classes suck the only way to be free is to govern yourself you know, and maybe that's the whole point. I don't know. Maybe all all hey, the regals have to go. If Bruce goes, you know, angry with his powers, right, and it's just they've yeah. just kicked in, that's maybe the first time they've, they've, they've done evil Superman via. But he's actually Batman. <laughs> and that's where this is actually a backdoor to a dark multiverse, and this is you know the darkest of nights. What he's actually no, we already have the darkest night. Yeah. Damn. What, what Taylor's actually doing here is just doing another spin on injustice. This is injustice. Like Batman, though, yeah, you know, two point oh. Well, yeah. I, I, I think that's what they actually called the second series of Justice. So don't call it that. But you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah. So we, we see yeah, Har- no. we see Harley is the, the jester, and her her interaction with Bruce is amusing. Um. So 
Now, this flowed really well. It read super quick, and it felt like it was introducing me to a lot of ideas uh, mm-hmm. in a very nicely paced out way that didn't feel overwhelming. And I understand. I feel like I understand this world so far, and I'm in. So yeah. Uh, I think the fact that it's like it's fantasy, but it, because it's like no, no, it's really just the superpowers that we're used to that are being considered as magic by and large, and how they're reacting to this as. Uh, like, oh, you must be, you know, witches and whatnot because you have powers. Uh, it's quite interesting to me. So, mm-hmm. um, no, yeah, good. What, what are you rating Dark Knights of Steel issue one, Matt? Uh, I'm going to give this a nine. I thought it was really strong, uh, you know. So. Oh, I don't know if I can go quite that high. You, you're, a, you're a bit uh, trigger happy with the. With the names. Um, it's got Tom Taylor and Fantastic Art. What else am I supposed to do? Uh, well, I know. Uh, I am going to go with... 8.5? Uh, I'll say 8.5. You know what? The quality is high enough that I, I think it, it, it justifies it. I Yeah, it's funny because the, the premise at face value shouldn't really work for me. But mm-hmm. so far, it is. Because it's... Yeah, I was... To be honest, I was a little bit worried just because I know how you are with fantasy stuff. Mm-hmm. And But once it started doing certain things, I was like, oh, he might end up liking this. Uh, but yeah, so you being that positive actually is more surprising. It's, it's because it's, it's just playing upon like these characters and who they are through a lens. Mm-hmm. I mean, right? if it starts relying on like digging into other mythology or lore, then mm-hmm. I, I, I may drop out fast, but... Yeah. As as of right now, I have no reason to not like kind of enjoy what it's yeah, doing. Yeah, no, and, and and it does stuff where of course, you know, Canary's on there and, and she's probably together with Green Arrow, and of course they're the ones that are siding against the you know op- oppressors, if you will. That's kind of what Green Arrow does. So um you know, of course he's okay with taking out the L's. So but but yeah, no, it's really good, man. Tom Tom uh Taylor can just keep going. Uh, all right, Batman one one six, James Tyron the fourth, and Jorge Jimenez on art. Thankfully, back completely yes, on art. Whole, whole, whole art. So this issue, Peacemaker one, of course, uh, is a big factor in here. As is Ivy. Yeah. Ghost Maker starts the issue by taking down a bunch of the the drones and the the soldiers yeah. that are in the garden. My my new partnership with Batman says I can't kill anybody, but he didn't say anything about robots. I thought that was fun. I think that might be the most I'd like Ghostmaker. Mm, sure, yeah. Uh, Queen Ivy is getting pissed and is like, I'm going to take down this whole city, uh, yeah. which is not exactly what everyone wants. But yeah. Batman yeah. and Miracle Molly are racing towards the device, which leads them very quickly into Scarecrow. And it turns out that Scarecrow can still manipulate the tech. Because there's Mad Hatter tech and all of the Insanity Collective, he basically starts making Miracle Molly freak out and she's in extreme pain and feeling fear, mm-hmm. um, while he's also juicing up uh, Peacekeeper 1, and Batman, you know, goes after Scarecrow, does what he can, uh, he's trying to get the device back so that he will stop hurting Miracle Molly, but then Peacekeeper 1 gets up and shoots Scarecrow, uh, and as <laughs> obviously he's not dead, like, he's gonna be fine, but... Yeah, I know, yeah, but still, uh, I just love it. he gets up like Robocop, he does. He's, he's like the corner of his armor is all like, removed yeah. from injuries. 
but he's like, hey, I, I am even more supercharged than I've ever been before. Uh, Simon's saying, uh, like, his ego was too much. I am the real power that's going to, like, save this city. So, Peacekeeper 1 is going on a power trip, which is not a great... It's, and it's a great full page spread. See that page where he puts all his mask back on? And he's standing there with, like, the armor all torn? Uh, it's a great, great page. And then there's, like, a, the companion yeah. page, which is the full page of Batman, sort of staring at him. Uh, yep. So, so they, they face off. Some good, well-drawn action. It flows really well. Miracle Molly's tinkering with things, uh, trying to, like, deal with the device. Uh, if I have a critique for the art, is that during this fight, uh, Peacekeeper 1 sort of, like, goes for Batman. It does that thing where the, the blade lands between Batman's legs. The look on mm-hmm. Batman's face as he's looking down at this blade just sort of hitting in front of his crotch, he's got, like, a zoink scoob kind of face <laughs> it just made me laugh and i don't know if it's in the t- it's not actually bad art it's just like i don't know if it's in the tone of the rest of the art it's, it feels a bit out of place so yeah <laughs> yeah i mean mild critique now that i'm looking at it again um it's like zonk scoop uh, zonks yikes <laughs> <laughs> he almost got my little bow weenie uh, uh, uh sh- Selena's gonna need that later. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Um, so I think Molly sets. No, it was Batman's uh, batarang set off some explosives in his shoulder. So we cut back to Ivy, uh, and the end of the issue is that Harley's showing up to try and save the day and says, uh, "Maybe you'll talk to me, or should I say yourself?" And she's brought the Ivy from Catwoman. Uh, with her, mm-hmm. so it looks like we're finally going to get the merging. Uh, in fact, it says right. it says to be concluded in two weeks, so there's only one issue left, so it has to be next right. issue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I I do like this version of Queen Ivy because it gets her to be kind of villainous again, but you kind of understand where she's coming from. Um, also, I might have done some research on the name of Queen Ivy, and Queen Ivy is a real plant, and it really does well in darkness, which I think that's a nice uh. A little nice throw-in by Tynan here on the writing is that, mm. you know, she was kind of left in darkness to flourish, and this this is the Ivy we got there. And, you know, kind of the one that was experiencing things that was to balance her out, you know, I, I do like. Um, but, but yeah, it's the whole stuff with Scarecrow, I do love that he's been built up to be, like, this big, scary guy, and Batman just knocks off his, you know... He throws a battering and knocks off his mask like it's nothing. You know, I kind of do love that counter. It, yeah, it demystifies him like immediately yeah. at the right point in the story where you want to feel that mm-hmm. win. Um, yeah. the, the issue is pretty solid. It was a, a lot of the action scene. A lot of it's Batman mm-hmm. confronting Scarecrow and Peacekeeper 1. Um, but it's, it's very well drawn by and large and flows really well. Mm-hmm. It's... Um, it does make me wonder what exactly we've got left in this last issue and how much Simon Saint's going to play into it and how much, like, you know, because as well, we do have to fix this Ivy stuff and we do have to have the, the, the resolution to that. I also don't see it taking up, like, too much of the issue because we do have to actually finish all of the, just the, the general plot. Like, everything Scarecrow's done, everything with, like, framing the Insanity Collective, we kind of have to wrap up yeah. all that next issue, so. And it's not it's not oversized, right? Um, um, you know, maybe actually. Now you said that. Let's let's look. Two weeks. Uh, let's find out. Yeah. Uh. Mm-hmm. So. 
Wait, are we sure? I'm I'm pulling it up now. Are we sure? I feel like if it was I, it's we... forty pages. Oh, so, so that's over. Well, no, that's just the backup. Yeah. It's just so the backup. No. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and there's no like um. There's no like capstone issue. It looks like. No, because one one eight's the start of uh, Williamson's run. Yeah. So. Well, what I mean by capstone is like you know how you know they would do the alpha and omega. Kind of issues. Oh no, there is. They announced one. They definitely announced one. Okay. So also the gardener number one is out that week. So maybe we'll get a little bit of resolution there. Oh, uh, maybe yeah, maybe a little flesh out the ivy stuff. With but... ivy, yeah. yeah. So I'm looking. I don't. Well, it would be Fear Street. We there was a Fear Street Alpha, but maybe there's not an Omega. No, the also was... Catwoman has ivy on the cover. I, I'm pretty sure they announced something. Like I, I, maybe okay. I'm imagining this, but yeah, I, I'm fairly certain they announced something. Yeah, there's also it looks like there's gonna be some resolution in Catwoman as well, so maybe that will they'll leave that to those guys who's doing the well. Yeah, Titan's doing the Gardener, so, but that seems to be more on her character. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. Let's see. Yeah, I'm not seeing any other fear. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe I'm imagining this, but I felt like there was something. But oh well. Um, oh well. E either way, we're we're invested to see how this ends, and I feel like um, it will wrap up pretty cleanly. You know, Tynan's pretty decent at that. I feel. Yeah, um, no, I've had a really good time with these run. I I will say, I think the build to Fear State was maybe a little more exciting than Fear State itself. Mm-hmm. Uh. So maybe that's a minor quibble to, to throw at it, but yeah, uh, it's been a lot of solid stuff though. Uh, it's been a really fun book. If anything, the only fault really that's not and it's not its own fault is the fact that Detective I think has been a better book. Uh, it, yeah, just consistency across the board. Yeah, with that one, these have been kind of up and down. You know, the art shifts and story kind of, you know, there's a lot. He had a lot of Tynan worked in a lot of moving parts here. And maybe maybe too many. Um, yeah, whereas... I, I I genuinely like the influence it's had on the rest of the Bat books, though, which is the, the way it set up a lot of these, like you know, Oracle being back in play and the Batgirls and everything else. And we're about to talk about them in a second, anyway, because of the backup. Mm. But um, you know, it's done a lot of really good stuff. So I'll be very curious to see how how it wraps up with this next issue. Uh, what are you giving the main story, Matt? I'm I'm gonna give this one an eight, and I, I mean that that. Some of that's on Jimenez with, with the art, and it just it looks good. Um, but yeah. I mean, it should always be partly on the artist. I mean... No, I know, but it's like those action sequences with him are really mm. good, I, I feel like. Peacekeeper 1 feels like a proper monster at this point. Like, once he puts that mask on, you know, it's a little reminiscent of, you know, Jason here, where he's just, he's not going to stop till he's done. Comparing him to Jason Voorhees, oh, that's a thing. Yeah. Um... All right, uh, I will say probably eight as well. I think. Yeah. Oh, maybe seven point five. Maybe seven point five. Anyway, uh, back up though, which is the second part of this Batgirl's uh, sort of prologue story, uh, which is Steph and Cass and the clock tower with the the magistrate coming for them and unleashing all kinds of hell on them. Uh, so I mean, a lot of it's quite simple. It's Steph and and Cass surviving 
try to figure out where Babs is, uh, escaping all the chaos. Uh, there's a big page of them like jumping from the explosion, which I mean, you the explosion was coming because we'd seen it teased uh, before. Mm-hmm. And it's also says about this uh, this reporter who's talking about everything going on and the, the conspiracies. Uh, the main plot beat of it is that the media is now trying to treat the Batgirls like they're terrorists. They, they're calling the Clock Tower a terrorist base, and yeah. they're a terrorist cell, and they're, like, pissed about being treated this way. And obviously they've made Castle like a murderer. Um, and, you know, I, I think the voices are still quite good. You know, Steph is, like, a bit of a motor mouth. Cass only chiming in uh, when mm-hmm. need be. And the final beat of it, which is they're, they're in street clothes, they're trying to like blend in, uh, and Steph is kind of freaking out, and back, and it's just really nice that Cass like just hugs her and says we're Batgirls always, and she says flipping Batgirls, which yeah. is like which is something that Steph said earlier. Mm-hmm. She called them flipping Batgirls. Uh, so I like the idea of like some of Steph's language is going to rub off on Cass. Uh, I love their friendship. Like I love that that's been consistent throughout. Uh, this, this new version of Batman, you know, does, does it tie back to, doesn't really tie back to Tiny Detective, but I would say since then, these two have been partnered together a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think they, they complement each other well. Like you said, with, with uh, Steph being more of a motor mouth and then, you know, Cass doesn't talk too much. It, they balance each other out and it's just, it's, it's nice. Yeah, I mean, there's not there's not much story progression, of course. There's not a lot of pages to do it in. Uh, mainly, them being portrayed as terrorists is kind of the the one big thing to come out of it. Mm-hmm. Other than just like the clock tower exploding, I guess. Right. But, we kind of kind of got some hints on who the um the the anti oracle is. I forget the name. Seer. I think. Seer. Yeah. Yeah. We kind of see their hands working behind a keyboard here. It did. Um, it did look like a woman just based on the it art. It does. Yeah, so uh, we'll we'll see how that goes, but, but yeah, it's, it's good. I mean, kind of ties into Nightwing a little bit more because we we you yeah. had those questions last time. Maybe, maybe it's the Batgirl who laughs. Let's not do that. Don't don't make it Doyle Dent. <laughs> Dent or the Batgirl who laughs or any of that type of shenanigans. Make it be a new character, please. Unless it's a calculator. If it's if it's a new calculator, cool. I'm I'm down with that. I always like the idea of the calculator being the anti oracle for the villains. You know, they're they're the ones that are dishing out the info for them. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, fun time. Still excited for the Batgirls book. So that's uh mm-hmm. that's good. Yeah. Uh, what are you rating it, Matt? Uh, I'll give this a seven point five. Yeah, but it's weird because there's not much story to judge it on, so there's less to like. No. Say. So and the art's good. I'm going to get. Art. I'm going to give it as an eight, an eight, but I want to make it clear it's an eight as a backup. Not like it would. Yes. If this was the full story, it would not get an eight. But as a backup, this eight pages or whatever, it gets an eight. <laughs> so, yes. Uh, all right. The Swamp Thing issue nine, Ram V writing with Mike Perkins on the art. The penultimate issue of season one. Uh, but as we mm-hmm. said earlier, there's going to be a season two starting in March. But this, uh, we had the cliffhanger last time of uh, Prescott going after Jennifer. Although we actually find out early in this issue that the guy running Prescott isn't, isn't even named Prescott. So I guess we're going to have no, to learn. No, but he's... he is a, a bastard son, basically. Yeah, but we're probably going to yeah. have to learn the asshole's name now that I can't just call him Prescott all the time. Yeah. 
but yeah, he's got Jennifer, and he's got like a he's got like the remains of an old Swamp Thing corpse. Uh, yeah. Which we get the backstory of later in the issue, but basically all of their technology that they've ever made in the last century is all come from researching avatars in the green. If not even just avatars, just this yeah. one, this one avatar yeah. from the green has given them yeah. access to all of their developments, all their technology. Uh, I do really dig the cliffhanger here at the end of the scene where he's like, hey, you've got questions, don't you? And she's like, yeah, whose body is that? And he just kind of gives this evil smile. The art is so good yeah. at getting that cliffhanger Perkins, over. So with, with all the shadows and whatnot, and here it's not overly shadowy, but because the character is, just that smirk, it's so greasy and grimy. Like It fits so well. Like Perkins is, he does that sinister vibe real well. Yeah, and you feel this sadness of uh, of Levi coming home and like or going to her place rather and finding it ransacked and finding it empty, yeah. and clearly she's in danger. I love that he sees what happens by asking the plant <laughs> for for mm-hmm. to tell the story, and we sort of see it in the art and the leaves of the plant. So then he gets angry, and he actually, you know, I'll say it, he hulks out intentionally yeah. because he's got someone to save. He he has a purpose, as he puts it. So yeah. it's it's definitely this transformation feels different to every other one that we've had in the book so far. This does feel like a call to action as opposed he to was, yeah, he, he's in control of this one more. Right? Like this is Levi turning into the swamp thing, not the green using Levi, right? Yeah, th- this is him using the power uh by choice. And mm-hmm. it does this great thing later on as well, because you know, the, the villain's explaining to Jennifer the backstory about this explorer who was why he steals stuff from the forest in India but found the remains of this avatar. And he explains the avatars, he explains the conduits, you know, Levi's the newest one, but there's been, you know, tons before. Um and as he's explaining all this at the end, very end of the scene where he's saying, Hey, we'll give you a lab and you can like work on Levi and help him and we get all this technology from whatever data you get from him. It's a win win. And she's like, You don't really want to help him though, you just want his data. And it's right at the end of this scene where the the art turns red and the alarm starts going off. And we you know, you're thinking, Oh, Levi's here. We know he's coming. Right. We he's we know he's, he's here to wreck things and get his girlfriend back, get Jennifer back. Yeah, we know he's coming after us. So all the scenes now inside the lab are all bathed in red. And we've got, like, his guards are outside. But then when we see who's coming, it's actually his brother. Um, Jacob. Jacob, yeah. Uh, with these big antlers. And it's like, oh, shit. So we get a big two-page spread of him wrecking stuff. And then he comes in and he's like, you know, he's, the branches are, like, stabbing soldiers through the arms. It's like uh-huh. pro- proper horrific, proper horror movie stuff. And it's only yeah. when he comes after Jennifer where Swamp Thing kind of jumps in and blocks it. And like we have this little moment where uh, he turns and says Jennifer and she looks him in the eye and can recognize that it's Levi. Like she sees Levi's eyes and he's like, yep. run. So it's like there's this little moment where up until now it's been like, okay, she kind of helped him, but it was in like a dream and she didn't think it was real and she thinks yeah. maybe he's crazy, whatever it may be. But this is like, no, no, no. Here he is in the flesh. He is Swamp Thing. And not only that, we have this arch nemesis now who, and this is, you know, Swamp Thing, Levi says to him when he's fighting him, like, like I'm not just doing this to protect them. I'm, I'm, you know, we need to take this company down, but we're not going to do it your way. And I'm doing what I'm doing now to protect you. It's like, it's like he's trying to save the soul of his brother before his brother does anything I, that he can, can't come back from. Yeah. And I do like how they represent two sides of the same coin is that, that, not only is Jacob wanting to take out 
Prescott because they're a bad corporation. But when you learn the history of how Prescott was able to have all the you know information and and that they do by having this husk of of an avatar there, and how the founder of Prescott went into India and kind of ransacked it and and took this thing, and that's what they built it upon. And as someone from that area, someone that is tied directly to the history there, it's Jacob coming basically almost for revenge on this. And whereas Levi going like, yeah, like revenge is great, but we have to do this the right way. Cause you know, as they say, you know, and, you I know, for an eye leaves the whole world blind. And of course this has been a theme of the book is, you know, going to another country and taking something that isn't yours. You right. know, yeah, mm-hmm. th- th- that's been like a constant thing throughout the whole story. So yeah. This just feels natural that it all bleeds back into that general idea again, uh, mm-hmm. and this is pretty much the end of the issue: is them fighting. Uh, the, 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 the other cliffhanger element being that uh, the deep freeze protocol is being initiated yeah. uh, with a countdown timer. Now, it's probably just what it sounds like, which is they're going to freeze them. <laughs> they're right. going to pump uh, ice or liquid nitrogen or whatever it's going to be into right. the room, and uh, hopefully, but also, get the if samples. You remember his his future state story. That's kind of how the world was left, right? Was in this deep freeze, and that's what led to the Swamp Thing family being able to kind of take over. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do like that it ties back to that as well with these, you know, little hints here or there. And he, um, Levi, also brings up for talking to Floronic Man, and and you know how not all avatars are the same, right? It's how they decide to use the powers. That kind of defines them more than the powers themselves, which I also like because you see how the brother here, he's more like if Levi is more of the traditional swamp thing with the mossy green, you know, flowering parts. Uh, Jacob is is all branches, all, you know, sharp edges. And, and I, I do like how those also complement each other here. So it's just, man, it's, it's great storytelling across the board. Yeah, and you know the whole thing with Floronic Man telling him, you know, eventually you're going to give in to this and just be a monster like me. Like the whole idea of him trying to save his brother's soul by stopping him from doing this, and you know, doing things the right way. All of it boils back down to like not turning into a monster. So no, we can't just give right. in into our basic impulses and mm-hmm. do what we want or act out of anger and revenge. We have to do things. You know, in a, in a humane way, we have to do things in an honourable way. So, the idea that the villain, like the classic Swamp Thing villain of Floronic Man is the one sort of speaking into his ear going, no, you're going to become a monster like me. The idea right. that Levi's entire story is fighting against that is really powerful. And it's, is, it, it, it makes sense for the, the story mm-hmm. and everything it's doing. You know, I, I always say that, that DC is always looking for their own version of Hulk. I feel like this is the most Hulk-like story DC's put out. Unless there's one that I'm just missing. But just the whole inner struggle and, you know, not becoming the monster or fully embracing what that means. If I could remember you know? the name of the book that came out with uh, Sideways and all those other books that was uh-huh. the Hulk one, I would bring yeah. that up. But I don't remember it, so I can't. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't good, right? Like, Was it Rampage? No, it wasn't Rampage. It was something along those lines, uh, right? Like, what was that called? The new... The DC... Because Sideways and Silencer were like the only ones that stuck. Yeah, I can't even remember what that way, that, that line um, was called. You, you talk for a minute, I'm going to find this. <laughs> yeah, obviously the art's fantastic. You mentioned a couple of the moments, the, the evil smile, the 
the uh the big two-page spread of, of jacob but honestly the art in this one is immaculate it's like this is like a perfect pairing we've said this a few times but it's a perfect pairing of art and subject because perkins like shadows and the sort of the moodiness that he gives to something as simple as is levi walking to an apartment building feels super uh moody and everything in there is just and but I also like that when he looks at the leaves for the like what happened in the room, mm-hmm. which one is it's a wonderful mechanic to set up that if there's if there's any you know greenery around, he can sort of like use that as security footage effectively. Yeah. That's a really fun idea. But the fact that the art gets so bright when it becomes just the green, when it's just the green on its own, it becomes kind of beautiful. But the rest of the time, it's kind of moodier, and the rest of the world is kind of sad without it. It's a really nice little touch but you know the expression is like uh, i mean jennifer's reaction to levi's eyes as swamp thing like told a story on its own that that was like a reaction that was told through a facial expression so the art is phenomenal in this issue yes have you found some details matt i i did and it was the new age of dc heroes ah there you go new age the character you're referring to was damage damage that was uh yeah told you it was close to rampage uh damage silencer sideways the terrifics came from that, which I forgot. I forgot, I forgot that too. Uh, Joe, Immortal Men. Joe, what's so Go funny ahead. about that is that we've been going long enough now that there's now stuff that happened entirely in the time that we did this mm-hmm. show that I have now forgotten. <laughs> yeah, because outside of Sideways and Silencer, it didn't really anything. And then that banner kind of got taken off of Terrific so much, we forgot that was originally part of it. But then there was stuff like the Immortal Men I forgot about, the Curse of Brimstone, which I don't even think I read the first issue of that. Um, Connor read a, a decent chunk of it. It was forced to yeah, for a call. New challengers and then the unexpected, which I don't remember that either. Um, but but yeah, uh, maybe, maybe for the better. I mean, I just brought it up as a joke. I mean, we don't have to research yeah. it that much, but <laughs> well, no, but I I had to know because my curiosity, right? But yeah, no, everything that you as I was looking up, I was listening to what you were saying. Uh, I agree with everything there about what what he does. Like I do like that ability in the green to reach out to the plants and you know, use it as surveillance. I think Ivy's done that kind of stuff before. I think it's popped up in other Swamp Thing books, but not not like this, not where he can go back and watch everything that had happened. Um, but yeah, and just like the, the whole, this ties them back to where they're from and how the two brothers are kind of more in touch with nature from how they were brought up. Um, and I kind of make some perfect avatars for this. And it just, everything is working across the board. And I'm very excited to see what, after this ends, what the following six issues are going to do. Just to see what, what that's going to be about. It kind of feels like this is just finishing setting up all of the elements. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's going to be a, a, a nice conflict to still tell yeah. with these two characters. Well, don't forget that, what was that, issue one or two? Where there was the whole swamp thing versus the idea that that creature that was out in the desert. You know? And you know, how how he fought this idea and stuff. And there's that stuff, too. More of the metaphysical type stuff. And here it, it comes down to, you know, the green and, and revenge and that type of stuff, which is not as metaphysical. So I'm curious to see what other what other thoughts Ramby has with, you know... Yeah, I also feel like there's, 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 there's more for Levi and Jennifer's relationship to explore as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, I feel like there's plenty of that because she's only just come mm-hmm. to term. Well, even come to term. She's only just realized that she's it's real. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, 
We can, she, she just pulled into the green, but I had no idea she was in the green. We can only get so much fallout of that in one issue, so yeah. I suspect there'll be some good developments with that over the, the, mm -hmm. the six new issues that we're going to get. Yeah. So, no, very, 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 very good stuff. Matt, what are you giving Swamp Thing issue 9? Uh, I'm going to give this a 9. I, too, am going to give it a 9. It was an excellent, excellent issue. Uh, so that's cool. Arkham City, The Order of the World, issue 2. Dan Waters writing with Danny on the art. Uh, did you read this, Matt? I'm caught up. You're caught up? I, okay, cool. I, issue issue 1 gave me uh, the, the creeps this week. <laughs> I was not ready for Ten-Eyed Man. Um, ripping jawbones out, uh, but leaving the skin intact. What's that about? Um, and and yeah, and I like how it's set post 8A and what that means for the city that all of these, you know, the Arkham weirdos, if you will, that some people have recognized. This is what I've noticed a trend maybe over the last five years is that like the reason they're in Arkham Asylum isn't because they're criminal. It's because they're they need help and that, yeah, some of them are beyond help. Let's say like the Joker or Two-Face, but there's other bat villains that do need help. And this series, I feel like Dan Waters is going to explore that. And, you know, what does that do to the people that are trying to help? Uh, that's what I got from the, the first issue. And then the second issue just goes off. I was like, hey, remember we're a horror book? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I was I was quite impressed with the first issue. Uh, I was curious to see how it would keep keep going. Obviously, uh, it was a Jakarta is the doctor. Uh, Dr. Who, Joy? Dr. Joy? Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that like Joy Jacari? I want to see I feel like I don't feel like I've pulled this name. Jacosta. Yeah. Sorry. Jacosta Joy. There, there you go. I knew it was something like that. Yeah, I got confused. I was like, well, did, did I read a different book? I don't know. Um, I knew it was yeah. something like that. I was I was trying to do it from memory. Uh I flubbed it. Oh well, we're here now. Uh so it says that was it double X is this Arkham escapee mm -hmm. whose power gives off like a, a drug like effect, right? So if you touch him, you get a high. So there's a drug oh. dealer who's got him chained up in his basement and he's just charging people to come in and like touch him. So yeah, they, so which, get uh, a kick. again, remember this is a horror book? <laughs> like, yeah, it's pretty oh, horrific. Like, the, some of the pals yeah. of him in chains and he's just looking up, looks yeah. really sad and like, yeah. Uh, the art is a really interesting thing, though. Like the, the the visual, like on the title page of what this guy feels, this junkie feels when yeah. he touches him, with this like sort of white outline of his body that's bigger than him. With uh... it, it kind of reminded me of um, when I tried to read Doom Patrol, the Native Man. It's oh, a, sure. an inverse of that. You know, it's instead of the black, what's that Native Man, right? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. instead of the dark shadowy outline, it's like a white, almost ghostly um effect and it kind of affects the person touching him here um but yeah yeah uh but we do go back to our, our doctor who talks to the police uh who are still investigating things um but of course the big thing that was revealed in the last issue is that she is actually harboring the ten-eyed man mm -hmm. uh, and is dealing with the fact that he's crawling around all creepy up in her bookshelf he goes up to the roof. Uh, we also bounce between that and uh, Azriel, who believes he has been, you know, called upon to take out yep. all these Arkham escapees uh, and fix the city. Uh, so, but the Ten-Eyed Man's whole thing is that the city is Arkham City and that it's their playground. 
And he uses a map along with his eyes and a ritual to try and predict where certain, you know, other Arkham inmates are. And he figures out where Double X is, right? He says, one of, the, one of us is locked away. And the whole time I'm thinking this doctor lady's like, like you, you don't realize how crazy this is? You're harboring this guy who's like a complete murderer. I mean, he literally came home with a jaw last issue. Right, and you didn't ask, like, <laughs> if my dog walked in with a jaw, I'd be like, where the hell did you get that from? But a, an inmate from Arkham? You're definitely like, no, what you, we can't do this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Uh, what I thought was interesting here is she, she goes into her narration here about how uh, the Ten-Eyed Man, like, has a backstory that he's claimed, where he used to be a right. soldier, uh, and how he, he got new optical nerves, like, put into his fingers and stuff. But she's like, you know, there's no history of the guy he says he is, uh, this Philip right. dude. And also, you know, biology doesn't work that way. So clearly there's something more going on with him and there's like a sort of lying uh, element to his character. Uh, but, you know, he gets all up in her face and like, you know, accuses her of sabotaging the plan. Uh, so, it, you know, it's proper creepy and like dangerous at various points. Um, the way that the Ten Man is standing around, it reminds me of Ragdoll from mm-hmm. from Secret Six and other books. And it's just, there's something about that level of contortionism that doesn't sit well, you know? So you get to draw them at these odd angles. Like, I can't remember if it was this book or the first one where he's doing, like, the full standing on his hands and the feet are above his head, curling over. And it's just yeah. it's so creepy to see those poses. Yeah, a lot of contortion all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so the junkie goes back to get another fix of the, uh, of double X, but double mm-hmm. X ends up breaking out, uh, when Asriel jumps in because he's watching as is the detective. So the detective jumps out and tries to like stop double X from running down the street because his powers are going haywire. And the woman who's like with the, the drug dealer, uh, mm-hmm. takes a shot and actually hits the detective in the face. It grazes him. Yeah. So he ends up in hospital. Uh, and Asriel beats the shit out of Double X. Uh, yeah. Calls him a sinner over and over again. Um, it's super violent, super bloody. Um, and a demon. No, don't forget that part. You know, Asriel seems to have gone from healthcare worker with Doctor Tompkins mm-hmm. to full on uh, vengeance of the Order of Saint Dumas. Just don't, back overnight, which I like. I I, I do love crazy Asriel. Yeah, so they, they they talk to uh to Joy uh, about everything that's going on because she was the last person that talked to him on the mm-hmm. phone, uh, but you know she's basically buying into Ten Eyed Man's whole thing. We see like a map of Gotham where he's kind of drawing the layout of Arkham over the top of it. So like this mm-hmm. district is the padded cells, this district is the whatever you know, uh, yeah. super like just. Kind of foreboding stuff about, uh, like, how he's looking at the city. Um, so, yeah, and it basically just shows that there's different inmates still around the city. We see, I don't know if that's Dr. Phosphorus we see. Yeah, so they talk about how Dr. Phosphorus, Phosphorus and someone else are actually adapting to living outside of Arkham mm-hmm. through Dr. Joy's help. But, the, like, the neighbors don't know it's Dr. Phosphorus or the other one, you know. Um, and that, I took that as, that's almost what Arkham City means, is, like, these people upon release, like, yeah, they still have issues, 
but they're still living amongst everybody uh, because they didn't actually need to be in the, the asylum um, anymore, at least. So yeah, uh, uh, the other one from the back looks like a splinter. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know who that is. I don't remember that one. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, it ends with Azrael um, realizing about who the doctor is through the um. Yeah, the the paper. Newspaper. Yeah, it says Doctor of One Thousand Maniacs, and it's basically Asriel's looking down and going, "Yes, my lord, I understand the Doctor." Uh, so now that doesn't necessarily mean that he's coming to kill her, but no, uh, she has some answers that he might need. Yeah, but he's going to go for her, and maybe he'll discover some things. Maybe he'll discover yeah. the Ten Eyed Man's been harbored by her. Maybe yeah. he will see her as a villain that he has to deal with, and that'll yeah. open up a lot of uh, a lot of possibilities. Yeah, it was another, you know, broody issue. It was another issue where it felt like uh, the the city's just this the cesspool of darkness and mm-hmm. all the rest of it. Um, I'm still intrigued. I, I don't think it was as good as issue one, but it's still pretty solid, though. Yeah, like it's this is this is the Danny art that I liked. For, for whatever reason, the stuff in Miracle Molly wasn't working for me, like it does here. Maybe because these are more shadowy, and it just kind of fits the vibe a little bit better. Um. But yeah, I like you said, it's kind of moody. Uh, it's got a lot of uh, like just creepiness baked in. Like it's hard for me to explain. It's like you know, you know Danny's art isn't like a very realistic style. It's mm-hmm. definitely a very stylized thing. Yeah, but it kind of it, it's nature that's a little bit off kilter. Works with a book where every character is meant to feel a bit off kilter. It's yeah. meant to feel like you're, you know, looking at a world. It's meant to feel kind of like Seven, but on a, a slight David Lynch twist. Yeah, Very I slight, get that. You know? I can see that. Uh, so, I feel that as I'm, as I'm reading it. Uh, and I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued to see. And, you know, I think a lot of this is going to be this doctor completely in over her head and, like, being consumed by the madness. Uh, yeah. So, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But, uh. No, pretty solid. Uh, what are you giving uh, Arkham City Order of the World issue 2? I'm going to give us an 8. Yeah, I think, I think I'm happy enough to give it an 8 as well. Pretty, pretty good scores this week for the most part. Yeah. Uh, so that's neat. Um, Superman and the Authority Special issue 1, Philip K. Johnson, and a bunch of artists that I didn't write down because there was too yeah. many of them. Uh, Matt read this though, so uh, you I, take I it away. I did. Um, this is a, so they're trying to set this up, like, I don't know why DC would do this, but they're trying to make the events I'll, I'll, of Superman you know what, I'm going to cut out, I'm going to cut out that sentence. I don't know why DC would do this, just so we can play it back every time they do something stupid. <laughs> That's fine. I mean, I, I yell that all the time anyways. Um, so they're trying to canonize the events of Superman and the Authority, the Morrison Janin book. I don't know why, because that felt like it was off in his own corner. So here, uh, Batman gets wind of a of a plot through the dark multiverse that this this entity called the Empire of Shadows has discovered about New Earth and want to come and claim New Earth. Now, the Empire of Shadows is one of the dark multiverse places where the all ghouls have completely overrun the earth. And now they want more because they're not going to, you know, so they're no longer a league of shadows. They are the empire of shadows. So 
This book has one dedicated artist to the Empire of Shadows, and that is Ben Templesmith. And while it's very shadowy and creepy, and you get to see this earth that the Al Ghuls have taken over, and their banner hangs, and there's bat warrior creatures flying through, you know, the place. And there's also some real hit or miss elements of the art that sometimes look overly simple. Like having you not, you haven't read this and haven't seen any of the pages or whatever. No. You get to a part where everything looks, uh, I'm trying to come up with the right word without saying cartoony. It doesn't fit DC. Like it's very indie kind of comics. There's like, because it's almost watercolory, it's almost Dustin Wynn, but without the, not clarification, but like without the refinement. So like proportions are off and it's, it's just, it's, it's very off. Like it, it's not art for me. I can see how some people would think this is okay. I just, it was not working with me. And then you have the other artist here where Leo Comic Geeks has only two artists listed and everybody else's inkers, which mm. if that's the case, oh, rough times. Because here for art, they have four people listed. I can get the page to work. Um, where you have Trevor Harrison, Jonathan Glapian, Scott Hanna, and Rain Bernardo. I think three of those are definitely inkers. So if you have Trevor Harrison art, but with all the different inkers, it the art has a varying quality, which, you know, doesn't help the book with the Ben Templesmith art that I already wasn't digging. But the main story of this goes is that Batman gets wind of the Empire of Shadows wanting to uh, invade. So he wants the authorities help because they can do stuff that the justice league can't. Uh, and, uh, a, a midnighter kind of has this feud with Batman that goes through that. He goes, I'm just you, but better. And then as, as, um, Philip Kennedy Johnson and writes, it's, we really do get to see the difference between midnighter and Batman, which is nice. Um, is that Batman still does stuff that he doesn't have the ego that Midnighter has, which is nice. And Apollo calls him out on this when they get to the Empire of Shadows and stuff. But um, Midnighter and Manchester Black both are like, no, we, we know what you mean, that this is a job for the authority. We are, uh, we're expendable where the Justice League is not. Um, and that we're not afraid to break a few eggs when we get over there. Um, and that they have to use Enchantress's powers to shift through the multiverse to get back to the dark multiverse. And that Batman sells Superman on this. Like we have to stop this before they come. We have to play offense, not defense. Cause this is how we'll end up with a Barbatos situation again. So I give Johnson some credit for trying to build back up the start of the dark multiverse, which was something I thought was back in the past. You know, I thought that was a bed that there's something they had put to bed, but so you have these three all ghoul siblings that, you find out of taking out like the hero. So like they tempt, they, they tease like the helm of fate that they've destroyed um, as they're showing their mother and um, someone else on a throne that's hinted to be Roz uh, in a green lantern ring that they took off of. And that, you know, these are just pieces that are going to lead to them uh, taking over new earth. 
and you find out that the reason they know about New Earth is they have the body of Tempest Fuginot hanging beneath their their base, their their castle, Al Ghul, and that somehow they were able to to pluck him out, and it's kind of his body with his head hanging, so it's like his torso. He's missing his lower half, his arms aren't there, and he's strung up. And one of the Algol kids were just like, you're, you know, through you, we're going to conquer everywhere. And um, leads to Enchantress porting them over there, whereas we get the really wonky art. And Apollo is like, oh, what's so wait, this is the Algols, right? Like, they're the Empire of Shadows? And Batman's like, yeah, why? He's like, oh, no reason. And he looks over and sees, like, this art of them worshipping, like, a bat god. You know, so it starts to see it a little bit, like... Remember, the Dark Multiverse, or these are where, where Batman's gone wrong. Um, and... You end up finding out that the Empire of Shadows knew that they would need someone from there to basically be the doorway... So they're going to take Enchantress, um, and that's the doorway. So they hook her into what is now just the severed head of Tempest Fuginot, and um, they're going to go back to Earth. So they port, uh, I think it's the three, just the three of them over where uh, Batman and Midnighter are waiting uh, for them because they, they got sent back as well. Um, and they defeat these two um, uh, with the assist um, of each other, and that's where they end up with respect for each other. And Enchantress brings the others back through. That you know, for now, now that they don't have the doorway, they're they're sealed off for now. Um, and Batman thanks Superman and them. Well, but you get the three Al Ghul kids back through, and. Um, they're standing before the guy on the throne, which is revealed to be Bruce Wayne, to no one's surprise. Um, in that, to now that they're, you know, now that they know they can portal shift through, they don't just need the Fuginot. And it ends with like this bat symbol uh, that we'll see their enemies again. Not at all necessary for the stuff going to War World. It's kind of just a showcase, almost to put the authority from the Morrison book to hear. Um, and I give Johnson credit for trying to tell a, a fun story, almost as if it was kind of, I can almost see like a one-off special of the, the, the Batman all ghoul empire of shadows against the house of L at like some point down the line. Cause that's where it very much feels like this fantasy version of evil Batman versus a fantasy version of Superman and all that type of stuff. But outside of it, like to call it a special is a misnomer because there's nothing that special about this book. <laughs> um, almost can't be an annual because there's no Batman in authority, but it almost feels like this is a story for an annual that's, you know, we won't really talk about again. And Batman gets kind of to give the sign off for the authority. Um, but yeah, I, I can't recommend it. It's kind of like you, do I don't say you dodged a bullet because it wasn't bad, but you're definitely going to use your time better I having just, not read it. Yeah, I like Johnson being the one writing that was almost enough to make me read it. But mm -hmm. 
hearing that it wasn't going to be that linked or necessary to War World yeah. made me just kind of, I don't know, something about the authority as a concept just makes me kind of... I don't, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't like it either. I don't feel like Superman needs this dark team and that Superman from the Morrison was someone that was world weary. He has seen the worst of humanity and that's why he has decided like, hey, I'm going to have to get my hands dirty here a little bit. Like we can't always be the shining beacon. Whereas I feel like Johnson Superman's been that a little bit through the appearance of Warworld, but not as extreme to where he would feel the need to assemble this team. And so this almost just feels like he needed characters almost like where they joke about them being expendable to Batman. Mm. I almost feel like the same of them going to Warworld, you know, Um, because like, for me to have Apollo and Midnight are on a team that also features Superman is just weird because they're just the they were the what, the Vertigo Wildstorm versions of Superman and Batman. You know, it was a sun yeah. and dark detective character. So, you know, and just using Manchester Black when he had his team, which I always forget the name of. Um, so, yeah, just it's, it's weird. Um, but I'll, I'll give this a, a seven. The art was real, like a. I'll, actually, I'll go six point five because the art did leave leave a bad taste in my mouth because it's very inconsistent across the board uh, on on both sides. So, yeah, man, I wish I could have better thoughts about it, but it was just kind of superfluous. Oh well, that's a shame, mm-hmm. but it is what it is. The Human Target, Issue 1, Tom King and Greg Smallwood on this book. So it's another 12-issue Tom King book kicking off. Uh, we have Human Target, which is a character that I'm familiar with the premise with, you know, the concept of, but isn't exactly a character that I've encountered that much. Uh, for anyone who's unaware, the Human Target is a character who will disguise himself as another character who's paid him to... Basically, just act as a decoy. So, in in the case yeah. of this issue, he's Lex Luthor for a bit, and then Lex Luthor gets shot. But it's not Lex Luthor; it's Human Target. That's the whole point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, well, once we got to that point, I forgot what the premise. Not not that I forgot, but I was like, "Oh wow, we're going to the Lex Luthor." Oh yeah, he's the Human Target. Duh, that's him. <laughs> you know. So it was one of those things where it was a, like a, a slow roller. Yeah. Uh, so me. I just for any first timers or anyone who doesn't know the concept, I just it's worth getting that out of the way first. Is that's the the mm-hmm. core idea of the character. Uh, so we know, we knew going into this is going to be something of a murder mystery. Uh, it does a bit of a narrative pull where it starts off the narration's very uh, present tense, where it, mm-hmm. you know he's talking about his cough, he's talking about um, you know putting on his suit, looking in the mirror. Uh, he smells some of you know someone's perfume on his suit still, so he's, he's sort of taking comfort in that. But his cough is really bad, and this scene is him leaving a message lying down in his bed in a motel and basically just saying you know it's my time like you know uh death yeah. is finally winning now admittedly i'm going to say this right now so obviously it, it then goes back this this it says day 12 and then it goes back to yep. day one right so we, we we're obviously going to work up to this point in the story it would be foolish not to just point out at this this starting juncture that it's very very possible even very lately that this actual death in 12 days time is not going to be real because it's human target and it's kind of his thing. <laughs> yep. Him doing deception and setting things up to pull out the real person. hundred percent. So when I saw he was coughing, I was like, I don't know, maybe this is going to be that thing that you can't escape death, right? Death comes for us all. 
because you get to the end of that countdown where the story starts, right, for day one. By the time I got to the end of the issue, I was like, oh, no, he's finding out who, who did this. And and it's it, this is just one of his jobs, you know? Yeah, I, I, I love that playing with expectations. Don't get me wrong. Like, I, I could totally see that's been a real death in the sense that mm-hmm. that would be, you know, that's how you sell the story. This is the, the, when the human target finally gets targeted mm-hmm. and goes down. Like, this is him finally right. dying. Like, that could be the entire crux of the story. But it would be foolish not to propose the idea that at the end of issue 12, or maybe issue 11 when we get, like, mm-hmm. the reveal before the final issue, that this he's already circumvented it somehow and he's not actually dying this is just to lure in whoever the culprit is or something but with that said we do scut back to day one uh and there's little teases of the other days you know he's fighting with guy and ted and other characters but we come back to day one and he's lex luther he complains about the coffee uh he's there for like a like a you know a, a digital expo he's out there on stage he's going to do a big speech and he gets shot and okay. like this this terrorist stands up with a like a bomb vest and he starts talking about how oh this is the beast and we're going to kill the beast and lex Luthor's is awful and blah 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 and everyone in this room's going to die uh, some fantastic art here i especially love the the yeah. page where it's um it ends with lex getting up behind them and i say lex mm-hmm. you know what i mean uh, yeah. But it's the, it's the side panels where it's, it's like it's like the, the the panels are pulling back, so it keeps getting wider as this guy's just yelling. So we're seeing behind them more and more until we see the the the, the Lex sort of getting up off the floor. Um, but the the trick of it is though is that he keeps coughing after this point, and it seems to be that uh, the 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 coffee from that morning was poisoned, mm-hmm. and that's what's yep. done it to him. Uh, and the only reason why he's not already dead is because the gunshot actually sort of get rid of some of it. <laughs> yep. Something to that effect. Uh, yeah, so he, you know, he he wears this, you know, special armor with all the makeup and that every time he gets shot, he says he throws up a little bit just from the force. Hmm. And he's talking about how he can he can taste it and it tastes like the bad coffee, you know, to remind him, you know, of it. And I, so all the little devices here that when you come to find out that it's a poison and all that, very when you go look back at it was very seated very well you know where he talks about the taste of the coffee like yeah it's bad coffee but this is exceptionally bad he says he keeps getting that tin taste to it um so yeah all all very very good yeah a little thing in the art here that i really like is when he's talking to lex and he's and they're, they're kind of bantering about uh like you know what the job was and whatever but there's a panel that's split in two of lex as he's sitting down and there's a portrait of lex on the wall mm-hmm. and i really like that this break between these two panels because there's a horizontal break so the two wide panels uh they make up one image and i like that the tip of lex's head is in the same path as most of this portrait mm-hmm. and it was almost a little subtle thing of like his ego his head is in the same panel as the as the, the the portrait like this is like a really pompous mm-hmm. looking portrait he's got of himself well uh, that's also that portrait is the cover of the luther mini i forget which one but mm-hmm. uh it's done to look like the cover's done to look like the book about lex luther written in the dc universe um but yeah i definitely get what you're saying about that yeah um, and it was just a simple little thing where lex is in these two panels Whereas at the bottom of the page, mm-hmm. uh, human target is actually like his head sticking out of the panel, and it's it yeah. just 
there's kind of a flow to this that is really really smart uh which shows you that he's it, not he's not quite in lexi's world he's not in his his circles no well also like that too it reminds me just i don't know if this is just because of the property and the era it reminds me of the Saul bass um like credit sequences from those 60 movies where you have all the panels coming in and they're making up other stuff like it's very stylistic um and it fits this character well i think but yeah like also like the other contextual level where like you said he's he's outside alexa's world yeah that, that that works as well too yeah so all this going on he ends up crashing his car when he's driving after this meeting uh mm-hmm. which is where he really realizes things are wrong and he gets checked dr midnight's yeah. the one that checks him out uh and the coloring changes here completely it's all blues and greens when we go yeah. to this this panel very medical um and one interesting part here that i'm sure you liked is that midnight recommends like talking to batman about who did this to him yeah. and he's like don't call batman it's my mystery <laughs> yeah i do love that um don't call batman my death my mystery um so i, I do love that because i love that he he wants to you know figure this out just for not for himself but like this is his thing and it also keeps batman out of this however with what we find out later i do feel like batman's gonna make an appearance oh probably yeah yeah so yeah so chance goes back to lex to talk about this because this probably was intended for lex since it was his coffee uh but you know he's kind of being ballsy though because he's only got 12 days to live midnight tells him he's got 12 days and he yep. he walks in, takes some of Lexi's really expensive whiskey, and like his narration like just keeps talking mm-hmm. about how it's how how expensive it is. Mm-hmm. He says, you know, just randomly says it's good. Like regardless of what the conversation is that's happening with Lex, he's yep. just talking about how good this whiskey is in his narration, which I thought was well, really well. Neat. I love that he he walks over there. He goes, I don't ask permission. Uh, life's too short. You see him pouring the whiskey. Sees the day. You only live once. Life's not a dress rehearsal. Ah, it's good. <laughs> like, like, just like that. Like, he had all these expectations. Of course, you know, in the the billionaire's personal office, he's gonna have the best whiskey ever. And and yeah, I just just the way that plays out. And and, and, well. and the art as well. It lex his like mm-hmm. expression, and it's it's not like a really in detail expression because he's he's too small no. in the panel for a super detailed mm-hmm. one. But just does this, you can sort of feel his glance across the room. Like, what's this guy doing? He's taking my whiskey. How dare yeah. this prick take my whiskey? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he's there asking about his car. He's, he's asking questions about who could have done this, mm-hmm. uh, all that kind of thing. And Lex tries to comfort him and says, hey, you know what? If this was intended for me, I at least feel comfort in the fact that when I find out who it is, I'm going to, like, destroy them because I'm Lex Luthor. Uh, they ain't getting away with this. Um, and so, yeah, Midnight uh, calls him and basically he's found a connection between a trace of something that's in the poison uh, mm-hmm. And there's only like one group of people that have been to this planet or this dimension where this 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 yeah. this element comes from. And you turn the page, and what group of people could this this be? It is the Justice League International, the JLI, oh. uh, in all their glory. So one of these people, presumably, is the killer. Although, yeah, that doesn't necessarily mean that they will for sure. It could be a setup. It could be all these things, but. It does mean that he's going to have to investigate these characters. So, mm-hmm. and you know, we knew they were going to be part of the book. We we're kind of waiting for it. They're on the cover. Well, their hands are on the cover. Um, yeah. So really neat. So he, he takes his clothes off. He goes to bed. It's the end of day one, and uh, 
He's like, yeah, I lie down. I, you know, just wait, go to sleep. And uh-huh. it says to be continued. And yeah, I mean, I'm in. <laughs> I mean, if nothing else, I'm into the story. I'm into the mystery. Mm-hmm. I like the character's voice. It feels distinct from Tom King's other books. <clears throat> it does feel more pulpy. It doesn't feel as like, it, does? sort of, it doesn't feel like it's like, like poking into my brain in the same way that uh, Rorschach and yeah. Strange Adventures and Mr. Miracle did. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it wouldn't surprise me if it does by the end, as it maybe mm-hmm. starts to get deeper into its mystery and reveal what it's going to talk about. But I, I think the idea that you've got this character who basically attracts death for a living, because the whole point of him is that he's there to be the target for someone else, him actually dealing with his own murder is a really interesting concept. If, so, yep. and, and I, I, I like that the most, is that he's... As someone that's always putting himself on the line, yet he's always so good at it. Mm. Here, like, he's the only person that's going to care that he's gone. You know? So he's got to figure this out. It's a really sad moment as well, because Midnight says, you know, go and, you know, be with loved ones or something. And he says something to the effect of, you know, Mm -hmm. describe all these people that you think I'm going to go and see. (laughs) Like, and he's like, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So, yeah, there's kind of a, a sad loner vibe to it, and may, maybe an exploration of, you know, the regrets he maybe has. Because, you know, that's this point out back to that first scene, when he's talking about putting on his suit before he lies down to die, he mentions smelling yeah. someone's perfume on the suit. So that uh-huh. certainly implies that he's going to have a romantic connection with someone over what? these 12 days. Or, right. at the very least, he's going to rekindle something with someone who he already right. meant, you know, he already meant to him. So... There's a lot of uh, seeds being planted, and I, I'm into it. Like, I would say that this uh, maybe doesn't wow me as much as some of his other books, but I would say that I like this issue one more than, say, his Bat-Cat or it, or even Supergirl uh, to a point. But It's it's the one for me that's most steeped in DC Comics. Sure. Right? Mr. Miracle was kind of on its own because it's the whole new gods and, you know, the undercurrent of new dad stuff. And then... Um, Strange Adventures 2 was very steeped in DC, but it was this more realistic, I guess, version of, of it. Yeah, I still uh, with... suspect this is very much out of continuity for a few yeah. reasons. Uh, but... w- one of them being that this JLI does feel like the 80s JLI, and I don't, yeah. you know, it's just like, yeah, that's the one he wants right, to no, use. And I'm not arguing for continuity yeah. here. I'm just saying this one is the one that's most bathed in DC. Like, even a Supergirl book, you're like, it's Supergirl. And there's references to Superman, but she's off in, in another galaxy, right? Doing mm. doing stuff. This one is very much where we've had appearances by Lex Luthor, Doctor Midnight. You know, it's just very much in DC, and I appreciate that as a big time DC nerd. Uh, and I also love that era of the Justice League International. You know, and I'm sure we're gonna get that version of of Guy Gardner. Who I don't know if you've ever read any JLIP, but if you don't like Guy Gardner in his current form, I, Guy Gardner from JLI is 10 times worse. So I'm wondering if King's going to have some fun with that. So you try to sell me on the book, Matt, because it's not helping. <laughs> no, but like, so what happens with JLI is like, there's, there, there are teams of opposites. So like, he's very much a hot headed chauvinist jerk in that book, which clashes with Black Canary, who's constantly calling him out for his BS. As she should. Like As she should. Yeah. So, um, which I forgot Black Canary was there until I was just trying to piece together who's in this picture. Uh, and she's the one with the headband behind Booster. 
and Captain Adam. Um, yeah, they're in di- a lot so, of them are in different outfits because of the, the time period yeah. they're coming from, so it's worth mentioning. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, you, you have Fire and Ice, you have Mr. Miracle, you have uh, the Russian Red. Uh, that's his name, right? He's the Russian Iron Man dude. Uh, you have Nort, you have Guy Gardner, Martian Manhunter, uh, Blue and Gold, Batman, Captain Adam, and Black Canary. So I would assume all of these characters are going to be making an, an appearance mm-hmm. as he tries to figure out who did this. Um, and yeah, I just Craig Smallwood's art, man. I did not realize it was going to be this great. Like, I had seen covers and whatnot, but, like, I don't know how... I don't know what deal Tom King I made. Every every like, many he's done has had some exceptional art team. It is yep. shocking. Mm-hmm. Uh, each one feels like a prestige, like, TV show that's on HBO or feels like a, a mm-hmm. prestigious, like, indie art house movie or something. Like, they all feel like they're of such a high standard. It is yep. ridiculous. And just the, the coloring that's going on here that you brought up, like, just uh, in, in Lex Luthor's office when he goes back and drinks the, the whiskey, mm. just the purples and blues and colds, you know, up against the the cold scientific blues and greens of the page before. It's like, again, man, he's just spoiled for great talent here, and as long as he keeps putting out these 12-issue minis and stuff, I'm gonna keep getting them all. Like, till he proves me wrong. Uh... Just because, I mean, even if you just look at the art, it's worth it. So. Yeah. And I, I really dug his voice. It, like, his voice and the way he talked about drinking the whiskey felt so distinct and of of, of Christopher Chance's character. Like, And yeah. I, I don't know enough about Christopher Chance and Human Target to say that this is accurate to what he's been like before, but it does, like, but on its own merit of this book on its own, I like this distinct voice, and it's given me a feel for yeah. a character that, that King is building to. And I don't really care if it matches Christopher Chance from before, because I don't really give a shit about Human Target. <laughs> no, because I, I feel like this is just who he was, and I feel like he's playing into that. You know, he's a detective guy, uh, you know, a lot more closer to human than even Batman, right? Because um, he's not a billionaire that has access to all these toys. Uh, so, um, did did you ever see the show that was on Fox? Oh no, never. Uh, it was. I watched the, the first couple, and they were pretty good. And then I kind of lost track of it. Very of the mid two thousands era kind of TV. But apparently, he the character also showed up on Arrow. No, I remember that. He I, did. They had one brief okay. like, cameo, basically. Okay, so it was just a a cameo. It wasn't like an arc. No, no. Okay. Uh, I don't know if it was like the actor from the previous show or if it was just like a new guy. No, I don't think so because yeah. that that actor's um, he was on Keen Eddie back then. I don't know if that's a show you recognize, but that was the first time I've ever seen Sienna Miller. Um, was was through there, but he's he's got a very he looks like the guy like they they it, casted him well. It, it's in the it's twenty ten show. It's funny though because uh, like I I saw probably the biggest negative reactions to Strange Adventures, especially towards the end were from people who are big Adam Strange fans who didn't yeah. like the characterization uh, all of the characters. So it'll be interesting to see again if that's a similar thing where you know Tom King just seems to take these characters who are not at the upper tier and just does what he wants with them story-wise. Yeah. And, you know, if they're out of continuity, I don't really care that much. Uh, there's definitely sort of like fundamental things where, you know, if you take Superman and turn them into like, you know, I don't know, like a Zack Snyder version of Superman. Like, I'm, right. I'm upset, but, Which, you know, otherwise... But but again, if you have 12 issues to do that over, 
And yeah. it feels like there's an arc, and you're not doing it just for shock value. I, I'm a little bit more open to it, because I would consider myself an Adam Strange fan for all the, the pulpiness. Of yeah, it. and Adam Strange... You can turn around and tell that pulpy story about the darkness that underlies those type of stories, Yeah, and, and it I, still works for the character. And Adam Strange, like, while obviously it sort of nukes the character in terms of what he normally is in that book, it, it takes its time and uses the concept of Adam Strange to explore the, the price that is paid and, like, humanity that's lost in war. and You know, it had a purpose, you know, even if you don't like that they used Adam Strange as a conduit for that story, like, it had a it had a purpose. Um, right. Here, I mean, there's nothing to suggest as of yet that, that he's going to do anything with a human target that's going to piss any human target fans off, but, right. uh, but he might. You know, I'm just, you know, because he's done yeah. it with a few characters if, now, so he may. If you're listening to this and you are a human target fan, please at least <clears> let <throat> me know, because I would like to know about why you like the human target so much, you know, like, because this is a character that even I'm kind of blind to outside of the TV show. I know that they try to do comics again. I think it was through Vertigo when the show came out. They tried to update it and it didn't go over as well. Um but it's definitely a character that's in my wheelhouse, right? You know, he's a master of disguise, pulpy detective type. And I like that. And so to know that King was going to be doing a version of that. And then when I started seeing that the covers by Smallwood come out, I was like, oh, okay. And then I see the interiors and it's even better than the covers. It's funny because this is going to be sacrilege to like a long time human target fans for all, all 12 of you who exist. Um <laughs> I like. I'm going to think of this as human target for the rest of my life. Probably yeah. this is this is going to be the human target I think of when I think of yeah. human target, and that's probably going to <laughs> upset some people. But you know, it's like for for me, the more characters like this, these C list and D list characters that Tom King, and I'm not saying every character he's done has been C and D list. I would I would describe mm-hmm. some of the other ones as higher than that. But if he could take C list and D list characters and give them these like great twelve issue books, I'm all for it. Do it like if he's got something to say if he's having fun with it or telling a great story with it go for it yeah or in the case of oh, Rorschach sure. that's right here yeah or in the case of Rorschach you know take something and do like a new chapter to it that is separate but mm-hmm. plays into the themes of it you know cause, I, I will say because Rorschach the comic doesn't like impact any of the characters from the original Watchmen it doesn't like change or affect no. anything in that but it reframes things to make me appreciate Watchmen more oh sure yeah. you know so oh, and that's a compliment. And just as I was gonna say that uh, yeah, I haven't read any, you know, the before Watchmen stuff, and I'm not really that big fan of Watchmen in and of itself. Uh, I mean, I like what it stands for and what it did and whatnot, but like Rorschach might be my favorite thing tied to Watchmen. And I was a big fan of Doomsday Clock, but I feel like Rorschach just was this self-contained story about corruption and and you know all you know all of that other stuff and and creation and you know being a comic creator through all that type of stuff. It might be my favorite thing ever tried to Watchmen. Oh, I thought the TV show is real good too. TV show is pretty um, good. Yeah. TV show yeah, is surprisingly TV good. Real good too. I would put them at about the same level. I might like the comic a little bit more. Anyway, but, anyway, human yeah. target. What do you rate this bad boy? Uh, Matt, what do you give yeah. it? Uh, I'm going to give it a very strong 8.5. Ah, we're over the nine. I, I think it, I think it's crafted very, very well. And I'm, I'm into the story. Uh, so yeah, nine out of ten from me. Yeah. All right. So I I would have had Animal Man to talk about, it, but because of the time change thing, which is basically daylight savings altering last week for me, but not until this week for Matt. So I was supposed to be ready an hour earlier than normal and wasn't, and he had to wait for me to read Swamp Thing. So 
yep. I was nice and decided to just move. So I'll, I'll do a couple of Patreon books next week. Uh, and I might hate that when I read how many books there is next week in a minute, but we'll see. Uh, before we get to that, though, <laughs> favorite parts of the week. So favorite panel slash moment, favorite cover, favorite art, and uh, top five books. And in my case, I read five books, so uh, all five of them yeah. will appear. Uh, so panel slash moment, Matt, what you got? So so I could pull something from Swamp Thing, from Dark Knights of Steel, mm-hmm. Human Target. I'm going to pull it from Dark Knights of Steel. Um, and it, it's going to be that realization that Jorel and Laura came in the rocket with, with oh, baby Kella. Well, that was good. He wasn't a baby. He wasn't born yet. But it was one of those moments that made me go, oh, wow. Okay. Because like you see them on the cover, but like I've seen that image of, of the Solon, Jorel, and, and Lara before. Doesn't mean that they're gonna survive Krypton, you know. They did here, and it was a nice twist on things. Oh, for sure. Uh, um, I again, yeah. There's a lot of books to take from this week potentially. There's great stuff in Human Target. There's great stuff in Dark of Steel. Uh, I think I'm gonna go with Swamp Thing though. I think I'm gonna go with uh, just the moment where Swamp Thing says Jennifer, and she looks at his eyes and says Levi, uh, and then the run. Like I think that moment, that back and forth, those few panels is so good and so much of it's in the art it's uh really well done so i'm going to go with that um cover of the week uh is an intro there's actually a, a decent amount of covers to pick from this week yeah uh some nice variants to a few things uh swamp things get a nice variant i like the darkness steel one where it's batman on the horse uh it's pretty neat human targets regular cover very very solid uh really nice design but i think for the second month in a row uh, Arkham City's taking my cover of the week. That that main cover, the the ten eyed man, which is with the the old Arkham Asylum font, but with just this sort of like uh, glowing orange light on him. It really really good. Just a nice cover. Mm-hmm. What you got, Matt? Uh, I'm going with Human Target. I just love that that you know it is the other concentric circles uh, leading to Christopher Chance's head, and then the hands of the Justice League International right there. It feels like an old movie poster. Uh, and I love that. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a really good cover. I remember thinking that when it was first mm-hmm. revealed. Uh, all right. Art of the week. What you got, Matt? This is the tough one. Because uh, I really love Smallwood's art in Human Target. I like Petrie's art in Dark Knights of Steel. You have Jimenez with Batman. You have Parkinson's with Swamp Thing. Um, but I think I was really, really surprised by Smallwood for Human Target. Salmon yeah. of Smallwood. Yeah, I this is a tougher choice this this time. Uh I think, you know, Putri's great. Jimenez is obviously great. Danny's really good for the book. But it, I think it's really between Perkins and Smallwood for me. And I think I'm gonna go with Perkins. I think it's one of the Perkins best issues yeah. yet. Uh even though Smallwood's art was phenomenal, so uh, but tough, tough choice. All right, Matt. Top five books of the week. Go. All right. So number one, Dark Knights of Steel. Two, Swamp Thing. Three, Human Target. Four, Arkham City. Five, Batman. All right. My number one is Swamp Thing. My number two is Human Target. My number three is Dark Knights of Steel. Number four, Arkham City. Number five, Batman. Yep. So. There you go. Uh, pretty solid, we call it. Not a huge very, risk, very solid. but very solid in terms of quality. So let me then tell you what is coming next week from DC Comics. So we have Action Comics 1036. We're going to have Wonder Woman 781. 
the Joker issue nine. Uh, so I'll do that with Animal Man then as a Patreon book. Uh, Batman Urban Legends issue nine. Batman the Imposter issue two. And issue one of that was so good. Yeah. Uh, so I would recommend. Wait, was you to catch? No, it's Connor to catch up on that. Connor didn't yeah. catch it. I, yeah, I made sure I read that one because I asked right. you if I only had time to read X one. You said go with that one. I was yeah, I was very I adamant. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Robin and Batman issue one. I forgot this was coming. To be honest, I like I want to be excited for it. It's it's Lemire and when, but I also am like I don't know. And there's that. I don't know. It's another Bat book. <laughs> it's another Bat book. It's but it's called Robin and Batman, not Batman and Robin. It's so, like it's Lemire and when you're going to read them out. You know you are. Maybe, maybe if, I, if I got time. Uh, I am Batman issue three. Future State Gotham issue 7, Justice League Last Ride issue 7, Harley Quinn the Animated Series Eat Bang King Tour issue 3, uh, Titans United issue 3, Black Manta issue 3, Superman vs. Lobo issue 2, Batman Scooby-Doo Mysteries issue 8, Pennyworth issue 4 rounds out the list. Uh, so, yeah, no, I, I've got, what am I looking at here? I'm looking at Action Comics, Joker imposter robin and batman yeah i don't have a big week you know what next week's actually a very good week yeah. for me after well catch if, if i'm not reading books. urban legends then i can definitely read batman or robin and batman you know so oh um, go, go nuts read everything matt read do you want no. well, well you're i can't at, do that anymore i do not have the time i cannot well you're at it read uh titans united black manta just the last raid uh <laughs> I, I, also, I su- wanted to read Black Manta, and I just got so far behind, and I don't have the time to catch up. Yeah, Superman v's Lobo, you can read that too, Matt. In fact, you know what? Uh, Batman's, Batman Scooby-Doo. You can read Batman. Matt is going to read Batman Scooby-Doo for next week and give us a full report. If, if you want to throw some extra money my way <laughs> to cover the cost, I will, because that cover is fantastic. Uh, Matt's going to do a thousand page... Sorry, a thousand page. thousand words, not page. <laughs> thousand page. Yeah. Try to knock out a thousand page review or a thousand page. Good lord, I did the same thing you did. A thousand word yeah. reviews back in my writing days, like they were nothing. Yeah. In fact, they told me I I, I got to parse them down because we don't, we don't need two thousand pages on why yeah, you know th- Jason Aaron's store. That's fantastic. If you're opinionated on what you're writing about, a thousand words is nothing. A thousand pages, in other hands, yeah. are, are another matter. That's uh, a, yeah. that's a book. Yep. <laughs> that's a, that's, a, yeah, that's a, more than a book. <laughs> it's a sizable yeah. book. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, there you go. That's what's coming next week from DC Comics. Uh, which means I can uh, take this time to thank our Patreon producers for the month. So thank you to Tyler Hess, Cindy Palacios, David Sharp, Board Now, Al Treisman, Christopher Moy, David Brown, and Stanley. Uh, they're uh, one of our higher tiers on patreon.com slash TV, where you can go and support us for as little as $1 per month and of course you can get early access to the show at the $5 tier by a day and of course at one of the higher tiers you get to make myself or Matt or sorry not Matt make myself or Connor me. read a book uh, it's because I was looking at you when I was saying it Matt so you're fine uh, so go and have a look over there but you can of course support us for free by simply hitting the like button subscribing commenting on YouTube you can of course rate the podcast five stars and give us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast from. Uh, all of these things does does and do help. Uh, you can also, of course, uh, get us on Twitter at DC Comics Podcast. Share us a bit on there. Uh, recommend it, re- recommend us to your comic book and DC loving friends and peers. Thank you and kindly. All of that does help out a lot. Uh, so that is cool. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, just over two hours, Matt. It was a short. Sure episode. Yeah. 
all right, we, we made up for it. I'm going to go make some lunch, maybe go to the movies. So, yeah. Mm. Uh, I'm very hungry. I'm definitely, I'm definitely going to do food right away. Yeah. Uh, but yep. uh, otherwise, I'm going to take a quiet night because it's been a hectic week. So It's good. You, you, you earned it. I'm, I'm going to play some video games, maybe. Or maybe I'll just nap. I don't know. Honestly, yeah. napping seems... Real quick, how much candy did you eat from Halloween? Uh, not did you just not keep any in? I, not, I mean, I had a little bit, but not a ton. Like, it, it was... Yeah. I, uh, I, I made myself sick at work because we, <laughs> we had some left over. And uh, yeah, maybe you don't need to eat uh, <laughs> three fun-sized Snickers, a Twix, and two Starbursts in one go. A, a, a fan um, sent me a box of caramel ding-dongs uh, for Halloween. <laughs> So it's, it always sounds like a, an insult. <laughs> ding dong. Uh, so I, I, I those, yeah. and they were okay. They, they, they tasted yeah. more like toffee than caramel, though, to be honest. Uh, yeah, well, that's probably with the, you know, mass production method. You know, I, I had a caramel apple that we got when we went to get our pumpkins, and uh, it had been sitting up there. And man, it's the first time I've had real caramel. Uh, it was so good. Like I'm, I'm kind of glad I waited for after the the Halloween mm-hmm. so I could enjoy it. But man, it was real good. So I, I get that thinking that the it might taste more like toffee than than caramel. Um, I know yeah. pro- proper caramel is great. Uh, it's very common yeah. here and and treats. Yeah. Um, well, I'm sure it is here too. But I just I'm so used to the candy company caramel, you know, than mm. than proper. So yeah, real real good. Uh, Pains me I can't get another one until next year because <laughs> the orchard's closed again. Yeah. Um, so there you go. That's the that's the show. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us yeah. for episode 278 of Cards and Multiverse. We will see you next time. So keep reading DC Comics. And remember to never get lost in the Speed Force.